Greetings, everyone. Saturday, December 24. Back from vacay. If any of you haven't been to Aruba, uh, I urge you to uh, uh, run, not walk. It's, my God, I've been going there 20 years. It's my favorite place on earth. It's got the most magnificent beaches. Fabulous weather, unlike a lot of Caribbean islands. Uh, it's reasonably Arab, arid and dry. It's not humid. The restaurants are fabulous. It's a safe place. You can go anywhere. People are really nice. Um, it's just paradise. It really is. So we're back. Um, and, you know, <laughs> my partner always says that when I go to Aruba, things happen in markets. This time was no different. Tommy Thornton, I'm trying to get you up here. Please accept. There you go. And so, of course, the day I traveled to Aruba, Thursday the 15th, all hell's breaking loose in markets. I was supposed to, vacation was supposed to start 4 p.m. on Wednesday the 14th, but not to be. So I was doing some serious multitasking trying to trade from the beach and we had a highly satisfactory run the last couple of weeks. You know, people are I'm getting kind of actually worried right now because everyone's saying really nice things about me on Twitter. It's probably a good sell signal. It's just short George. Just as uh, a month or two ago, people were dumping on me. Um, and that just redoubled my resolve. That was a great buy signal. So I tried to fade myself and fade the crowd. We'll talk about Nope later. I really don't want to talk much about Nope, as you know, I, I try to stay away from that um, in these in these rooms. What's special about December 24th? Um, today is Jim Chanos's birthday. I invited him to come to the room, but he's busy. And what's special about December 25th, aside from it being Christmas? Well, it happens to be my birthday, believe it or not. So, um, as many of you are aware, I don't celebrate Christmas. I happen to be Jewish. But I wish all my friends uh, the best and happy holidays. So we're going to do something a little bit different. I know you guys think I'm totally wacko, but now we're half wacko. I'm not totally wacko. So um, I took the liberty of, um, I took a poem towards the night before Christmas. I know everyone's groaning like, uh-oh, what's going to happen now? So I want everyone to kind of bear with me on this. Uh, I've rewritten the lyrics, and I will post these to Twitter um, after I've read the poem. And uh, in honor of my good friend, Mr. Thornton, he features in this poem. But don't worry, Tommy. It's all good. So um, it was remarkable. I started this as a lark, as a prank, but the words just kind of wrote themselves. The words just kind of wrote themselves. It really was unbelievable. I'm just trying to pull this up here right now. Hey, hey, Tommy, are, are you there? Tommy? Thomas Thornton, are you there? All right, whatever. Um, nevertheless. Yes, I am here, George. Hey, I'm just... Uh, hey, hey, I'm just... hey, happy holidays. Where Are you uh, Are you uh, in Greenwich? You're out on the West Coast? Where are you, my friend? I am in Greenwich, and uh, just getting into the whole Christmas uh, celebra celebration. I uh, got family coming over this afternoon, and... Uh, really excited it's been a great year and uh very uh very grateful so that's awesome. that's what i'm doing that's, and, and thank you and watching football and th thank who's playing tommy i am not even watching football today who's playing today 
Uh, I see the Chiefs. Uh, the Vikings are beating the Giants. Um, I can give you some scores if I just hit ESPN, but uh, okay. keep going. All I right. want to hear this uh, poem. Okay, here we go. All right. If you guys are liking this, I want to see the uh, I want to see your reaction. So you can put the heart thing and and all the exclamations. Here we go. I know they say trying humor is dangerous because it's hard to be funny, but I think you guys are going to like this one. So twas the night before Christmas. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house. Tony, please meet yourself. Hold on. Here we go. Right, there we go. Okay. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The charts were posted by Thornton with care in hopes that St. Pal would soon be there. The bulls were nested all snug in their beds while visions of bull markets danced in their heads. And Kramer in his kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long bull trap. When then on CNBC there arose such a clatter I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the Bloomberg, I flew like a flash, tore open the barrens to witness a crash. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave luster, gave the luster of midday to prices below. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver, so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Pal, more rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. I don't know if I can do this with a straight face. I have to control myself. Now, sailor, on. Now, sailor, now. Chamath. Now, Portnoy and Gerber. On Musk, on Wood, on Bankman, Freed, and Kramer. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the meme stocks fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So to the top house, the coursers they flew with a sleigh full of toys and St. Pal too. And then in a twinkling, I heard on the stair the prancing and pawing of each little bear. As I drew in my hand, the chart turning around, down the chimney, St. Pal came with a bound. He was dressed as a bull, his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of dollars he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his fed speak so merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The interest rate hikes he held tight in his teeth, and the recession they brought covered his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He said inflation was transitory, a right jolly old elf. And I laughed when I heard him. I could not believe it myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all those stockings and the market went berserk. And laying his finger the side of his nose and giving a nod up the Vicks rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his Fed governors gave a whistle, and down went the market like a falling missile. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. So, there you have it. 
So, without any further ado, we've got a wonderful room today. Uh, we've got Tommy, and then we are going to speak of the um, auto company, the car company, which shall not be named because it's particularly timely. And we have Motorhead, who's up till God knows what hour in Tokyo right now. And um, I know a few uh, followers of uh, Tesla that are um, have the, follow it as, as closely with as much green eye shade as Motorhead. There's a lot of narrative-filled poppycock um, that, you know, appears regularly um, uh, on Twitter spaces. You all know there's that one fellow who keeps running these spaces, uh, why Tesla will triple this year. Um, I'm thinking of we're going to start running spaces, uh, why Twitter will go down 90%, sorry, why Tesla will go down uh, 67% next year. I actually think it will. Um, so enough with, you know, narratives and stories and opinions uh i was really triggered by that space that musk had that musk appeared in earlier this week it's highly unusual that he you know puts himself out there um we'll get to that later i don't want to get too far in the weeds on tesla i'll get a motor up here in a second but to me to me the whole uh space that he participated in uh, earlier this week was a huge sell signal. I mean, there were so many red flags out there. It was, it was, it was outrageous. So anyway, Tommy, um, we were last together. You and I spoke earlier this week, but we had that emergency space um, after the close on Thursday the 15th. We tried to circle the wagons. It was phenomenal. Um, yourself, Ian Harnett, Michael Hal, Cantro, I'm missing some folks. Uh, but, you know, we tried to sound the alarm. Um, I, I reminded everybody that, you know, you were um, – unusually extremely short um turned out to be a, again a very prescient call on your part my hat's off to you so past this prologue that was then now is now you and i spoke i think it was yesterday the day before um so i want to turn it over to you to tommy just sort of set the stage where do you think we are where do you think we're headed uh and then we'll get this party started so tommy the floor is yours okay hey george um well happy birthday tomorrow i did not know that um you're birthday was on Christmas. Um, you are the savior in my life. Um, but I will say, um, I'm kind of going back and looking at predictions from last year from a lot of the sell side banks. And, uh, you know, I, as much as people rag on the banks and say, oh, they, they always get it wrong or this and that, um, most of them were pretty spot on. And they, a lot of people were, you know, saying that uh, the returns were going to moderate, uh, which is, that is about as bearish as they get. But uh, I, I think that's um, it was actually kind of interesting that uh, that just looking backwards that uh, they were they were talking about how the Fed was going to uh, raise rates and inflation was a big problem. Um, uh, you know, Goldman was saying global economic growth will head lower. Uh, a lot of a lot of different things like that. And now uh, looking at the 2023 predictions and I, I'm not a big fan of, of saying, oh, where will the market close by the end of the year? I, I I'll tell you my that in a second. But the um, the thing is, most of the strategists are within 200 points. And I hate using points, but I'll just say, let's say. 3,800, well, maybe let's go a little wider, 3,800 to 4,200 uh, on the S&P. And that's about as narrow as it gets. And so I, 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 I don't like looking at, uh, you know, 
the end of the year, you know, price targets, I think it's hard to tell, uh, especially there's a lot of stuff that can happen that can go right and go wrong. Um, and I'm not going to give you a target cause I'm, I don't give price targets on just about anything. Uh, the thing that, uh, we have to just, uh, think about is this could be another year of a lot of sideways, but very volatile on the upside and downside type of action. And I talked to you, George, the other day about, even though I'm bearish and you're bearish and I, you know, there's times where I will get, you know, bullish for moderate, you know, periods for bounces. Uh, you know, I think that if we go into the earnings season and that's what's happening now, um, oh, my wife just texted me, hun, it's Saturday and Christmas Eve. Okay. All right. <laughs> She's calling her divorce lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tommy, do you have the same problem I do with Susan, which is you know, your significant other thinks you're having an affair? Yeah, you are having an affair with Twitter spaces. Is, is, do you have that problem too? Yeah, you know, it's like, okay, it's just, you might hear the tweet or the text coming my way. But um, actually, we don't have any family over right now. We can talk. I can talk. You know, I could be, I'd be watching football and would she be giving me a hard yeah, time? But, 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 but Tommy, anyway. you know, just tell your wife if she's willing to come in here and talk about what she thinks of the put call ratio in Tesla. She's, she's welcome. We're very inclusive. So, like, what's her problem? Yeah, but she she's not a big fan of Tesla. We rent I rented one in Los Angeles and it, it drove her crazy. She was like, I, I don't understand this car. I hate it. Anyway, that's another um story. But my my view on 2023, uh I think we're gonna have this this range bound type year. And that's not so unusual. It could go lower and it could, you know, just have these bounces um just as what we've had. And it's kind of similar to what we saw coming out of the dot-com bubble. Uh, maybe not the same as what came out of the great financial crisis because QE and uh, Ben Bernanke went crazy um, stimulating. But the, the thought I have is uh, that I'm, I'm trying to put together a big list of, instead of like the predictions of next year, the predictions of what could go right and what could go wrong. And then sort of add that as a like a like a scoreboard of things and it can vary from the russia ukraine to the fed to earnings to everything and i think that's kind of the thing that i i want to stress is instead of just us all coming into this room and and you know doing a well sitting around in a circle uh, i think the main thing is we should really start to think of both sides of the equation of not just the the bearish side because it's really pretty easy to find a lot of bearish things out there but like what could possibly go right and i think that's going to be um that's going to be a, a a commodity a rare commodity of what could go right uh that um, that will will add value to to the spaces and i, I think a lot of people can you know as much as we want to just say oh yeah we want to dump on this this and that what could go right? You know, what could change? What could be the bullish turning point? Maybe not overall for everything, but maybe for a company, maybe for a sector. Uh, I mean, it could be energy. You know, if the SPR, oh, we're going to refill the SPR. There's a bullish thing right there. Um, but that's kind of like my view right now. And heading into the end of the year, I was very, very short. 
way too short for my comfort. And I've taken down some short exposure, maybe a little too early on some things, but so be it. I need to relax. It's been a tough year. Everybody's tired. Um, it's important to recharge. And George, I'm glad you uh, got away and recharged. And I, as I said to you, the first thing I said to you the other day, I said, you should go away on vacation more because <laughs> it seemed to work pretty well for you. And uh, but anyway, I just um, that's about all I have. Um, I'm, I'm going to let everyone else uh, go. If anybody has any questions or wants to contact me, you know where to find me. And uh, thank you for everyone and all the new. Uh, I have a lot of new subscribers from George's Spaces, and um, I'm really very grateful uh, for that. And uh, here's to 2023. Well said, Tommy. And I want to thank you for all your contributions to this space. Really, uh, you, you, you're one of the more normal people in this space, and you act as a counterbalance to my insanity. And you've had more than your fair share of... Um, outrageous calls and um, i'm not going to embarrass you if you want to know how well tommy's calls have done this year um trial him ask for a service i have no commercial affiliation with tommy i'm a subscriber it's incredible value um and let's just say with a little bit of british understatement his returns have been highly satisfactory um which you know and, and i'm just going to take this opportunity um and we talked about this a couple of spaces ago you know, aside from being a great market observer, you know, Tommy, I'm going to embarrass you now. He's just a really great guy. He's normal. He's, you know, he's polite. He's a gentleman. He's well-bred. And you look at the vitriol and the, and, and the hate that gets thrown around Twitter. You know, of all the people to be attacked, like Thornton, like, really? I mean, someone wants to mix it up with me. Well, okay, so George is a big math. He threw the first stone, whatever. That's even not true, but whatever. I just think, and I hope, you know, maybe in 2023, everyone could take it upon themselves to try to just be a little bit more civil. One of the one of the devices that I try to use, and I'm sure we, we've all experienced this, and sometimes maybe we're all guilty of it. When you're listening to someone, are you listening to learn or are you listening to rebut? How many times... You, know, you hear someone and you're triggered by something they say, or you disagree with what they say. And it may be that you're largely in agreement with them, but there's like one thing that you disagree with. And so it may not be you, maybe it's somebody else. Instead of like arguing over the one thing you disagree with, why not celebrate the 80 or 90% you do agree on? And I say that not because one should avoid confrontation, but if you can, if you can build if you can build from points that you agree on, you can then have a respectful back and forth on the points you disagree on. And I find on Twitter too much of the time, there are too many people who just want to throw stones. And, you know, I really wish that this anonymity or pseudo anonymity was, 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 was abolished on Twitter. I know there are reasons for keeping, I, I get that. Okay. There are puts and takes. I understand that. But I would just say, Rather argue whether it should, and, and, and by the way, no one's going to come up here. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot you down right away. If someone tries to get into a debate over where he should or shouldn't have anonymity, that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is by having anonymity or pseudo anonymity, there's some people out there who say things that they wouldn't say otherwise. In an ideal world, 
I'd be for total anonymity and pseudo anonymity, provided people, you know, behave themselves and act, you know, behave like you would if people knew who you were. And the amount of vitriol and invective by know nothings. And people, you know, who follow me, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had a lot of shit thrown at me because the fun got off to a bad start. And a lot of my friends came to my defense. You know, losing money is part of the game. If you're not losing money, you're not taking enough risk. And if you haven't been in the seat before, you don't know what it's like. So when I call people out, I don't call people out for losing money. I call people out for being bad, what I call bad actors, being dishonest. This is a difference, huge difference. And in fact, for every person that you know gets their nose bent out of shape because I go after a bad actor, I have a hundred of you thanking me for you know putting uh, putting the truth out there. So I would just ask everyone, kind of as a resolution for 2023, to just try to be a little bit more patient a little bit more civil, a little less judgmental, and try to find more where there's a common ground. And he also, I would say, when someone is talking crap, it's incumbent upon you to call them out. So if someone's attacking Tom Thornton, and if you think Thornton is a reasonable guy and is in the right, it behooves you to speak up. Because you know, the policing on Twitter, the patrolling on Twitter, I mean, Twitter is a, you know, it's, 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 it's a wonderful thing we got here with these spaces, but it comes to the downside. And I think as a community, we can self-police. And look, everyone, sorry, go ahead, Tommy, go ahead. Hey, George. Um, well, thanks. And I, I, um, I'll say this, uh, you know, the best thing to do on Twitter is when you have someone who is one of those anonymous uh, people that all they do, they don't put any content out other than tell everybody that how bad they are. And, you know, we all have those and it's okay. I, all I do is I just block them immediately and I don't really care. Um, I, and, and listen, I'm all for discourse with people that have a differing opinion with me. There's times where I'll rib somebody a little bit, and, you know, don't go too, I don't go over the line, but they'll rib me back and I can handle it. I, I'm a big boy. I'm, I've, I've developed a very thick skin over the years and I suggest everyone else uh, do that as well. But like there's like I, I put out recently saying that I speak to some noted bulls out there Um you know, I, I speak to Dan Ives of Wedbush. Okay. And I call him a serial price raiser. Okay. I give him shit on some of the calls that he makes and I know he reads my stuff and I know that I can have an influence on him. If I'm saying, Hey, this is where the chart's going of this particular stock. It could be, you know, a phone maker or a car company or something. And it may change a little bit of his opinion on things. I'm respectful to him, even though I disagree with him on a lot of things. And I kind of laugh at some of the things that he says. And he may with me as well. But it, it's okay to have that type of disagreement and have a discourse. And I think that's a good thing. And George, to be truthful, I think maybe 
you could tone it down a little bit going into 2023 because I've heard you go a little cuckoo uh, over a couple periods uh, with people. And yeah, some people have crossed the line. And you know what? You have the, the mic so you could take it back if those people are crossing the line. It's your show. You can do what you want. And I just think that George is the, the thought that you have as far as having a, a better discourse with people is a good thing. And you know something? We're all trying to make money here. And there'll be times where the bulls and something will make money and the bears will make money in some things. Let's just try and be on the right side of those things. And remember that we're all just human and we make mistakes and we don't need to be called out for every single mistake we make. So I'm all for taking the high ground and I, I, I write that, I have that written on my pad on my desk, uh, take the high ground. And sometimes when I'm going to call somebody an effing idiot or go a little even stronger, I look at that and it restrains me from saying some things. Um, maybe that's just going over the years of working for some very difficult, tough people, but that's how I roll. No, I, I appreciate that, Tommy. I appreciate your uh, constructive criticism, stroke advice, and uh, I know I can get hot. And I value if a friend or someone I respect, such as yourself or Ken Roberts or Cantro or Abe or you know KFL, whatever, just looking here, is hey George, whoa, like I'll listen. But when some anonymous hater, no, not going to happen. And so uh, I think you know we try in these rooms to be civil. I think we usually pretty are. We have some exceptions. You know, I had a dust up with my friend um, O'Hare a few months ago, but we kissed and made up and we're all good. And, you know, we understand each other. Um, but I agree about blocking. Uh, I learned that from Mark Ahodas, block early and block often. Um, you know, I'm reminded, I'm not religious, but in Judaism, Judaism, I'm sure in other religions as well, they have this uh, idea that you should only say things for constructive purpose. So when you're about to put your mouth in gear, just ask yourself, what is the point? Like, what are you trying to do? Is it trying to diss somebody or hurt their feelings? It's okay to have constructive criticism. But if it, if it is malicious and just to undermine them, no, don't do not do it. And if you look at the folks on, on, on Twitter that do this stuff, I mean, we're talking about the haters. They, they do. There's no constructive purpose, none. You know, as opposed to if you were to say to me, hey, George, you know, you really kind of, you know, went over the line with O'Hare or whatever. You should apologize to him, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. And I, and I knew I had, which is why I called him afterwards. And we talked for an hour and a half. So to err is human. Um, but it all goes back to, um, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt. And one of the things, one of the points I want to make on this, and Tommy, I want your reaction to this. A lot of times, both people, both sides can be right. What I, you know, I hate electronic communications because it just lends itself to so much mis misunderstanding particularly on Twitter, um, because in FinTwit, we could be talking about multiple time frames. You could be like, you're more of a market animal. You're more short-term. Then you have guys like Cantro. He was here. I'm not sure where he went. who's longer term. And so, you know, let's say, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Let's say that Motorhead really likes Tesla, all right? Which he does; he hates it. Let's say Motorhead really like, really hate, really likes Tesla. And you look at the chart, Tommy, and you're like, "Well, hey, Motorhead, you know what? I, I, I think it's a short right here." And really, you're you're just looking for a 10, 20 percent pullback when the long term chart could look great. And he gets all butt hurt because you're saying 
something negative about one of his holdings. But you're looking short-term, and he's looking long-term. And I also find a lie to that on Twitter. There are a lot of folks who, you know, have not operated in an institutional uh, environment, um, and they get butthurt when someone says something negative about one of their holdings, and they take it personally. So one has to be sort of ruthlessly objective about it, and don't let your opinion, don't let your objectivity get compromised by whether you're long or short the stock. And then also give the other guy bandwidth. Like, you know, Motorhead might say, oh, okay, well, instead of hating you because you said something about his favorite long idea, you might say, okay, I get it. Yeah, I see that the RSI is at 80 and it's, you know, 30% over the 50-day moving average. Yeah, it's entitled to a pullback. So instead of fighting with each other, oh, Thornton's bearish on Tesla, Motorhead's bullish, just, just celebrate the diversity of opinion and just understand and accept that both can be right. And the problem is a lot of investors on here, they just get butthurt. I'm using that phrase a lot. That if anyone says something contrary to one of the positions, they take it personally. And uh, Tommy, I'm sure you've experienced that before. You got any thoughts about that? Yeah. Can you hear the Christmas music going in here? It's like Buble happening hardcore right now with Leanne. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll say this. Um, I don't agree with his thesis on Tesla, but Gary Black, who you can hear the the, the agony and I, I guess just frustration with Elon Musk and what he's doing with Twitter, it's taken away the focus from Tesla. And I, I you know, he puts this this you know his ten catalysts that are going to happen, and you know it changes a lot, and that's that's cool. You know, he's he's got a He's a smart guy, um, very, you know, he knows what he's talking about on, on many, many things. I think he's dead wrong on Tesla, and I think he knows that. And I think it's so frustrating. But I asked him, I said, well, you know, he, he said I, I, something in the sense that I, I, I think that he's just become so distracted with, with, um, with, with Twitter, and, and he recognize this earlier that was the, the point and i said then why didn't you you know sell why didn't why did you know and he's like i'm a long-term investor and in hindsight i probably should you know what that was just a, and i wasn't going at him like you know you're such an idiot but like you still can sell you can always get in or out or do whatever i mean you're managing money for other people you just can't get too you know, in the short term, long term type thing, George, you just can't get too wrapped up in something because I can look at a long term monthly chart of something and say, yeah, it looks great. But there's been a 20 percent drawdown in, you know, the last six months in something. And that's not acceptable for a managed or a manager who manages money for for other people. So, yeah, time frame really matters. And um yeah, I think that if anything, you know, this holiday season, maybe everybody should take a step back and say, you know, this has been a very, you know, difficult market and a lot of people have lost money and a lot of people took too much risk in previous years with too easy fed. Uh, maybe it's time that instead of bashing them and saying how stupid they were, you know, look, we, a lot of us have gone through these periods. We, we kind of recognized what was going to come down um we still make mistakes but still uh the point is have some empathy empathy is like my um most 
Yes, honey. Yes. Okay. So I got to run here, but uh, empathy is um, an underutilized trait that people um, don't understand. And if you can help people going forward, and I, I think that's something that people should, uh, you know, strive to do. Um, and, you know, civil just discourse, George. I think yeah, that's that's key. Yeah, no. Okay. Hey, okay. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go on mute here because I, I'm. I'm. I'm sensing. Yeah. Uh, marital. All right. So, 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 Tommy, hundred percent. Thank you for being such a friend. Um, if I don't talk to you, you know, Merry Christmas. I'm sure we'll do a space for the end of the year. But thanks for being you. I, I love you, man. This is great. And uh, thanks again. Thanks so much. All right. So, go on mute, Tommy. So we now have Motorhead, and in Motorhead, what is it? Two thirty in the morning. There. What time is it where you are? Uh, it's four three. Oh, four thirty. Jesus Christ. All right. So, uh, Motorhead is a friend of these rooms. Um, you know, he is a career auto analyst. He's a serious guy. I don't want to steal his thunder. I will pile on though, and 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 and, and add my comments. But you know, you know, I've had a number of conversations uh, the last week or two. We've had a dialogue for months. And he, he totally nailed it. He put out a piece back in June, July about what was going to happen. And it's completely happened. And what I like about Motorhead, he's a real analyst. I mean, he and I spoke about the the, 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 the Musk appearance in Twitter space. The other day. I don't want to steal his thunder. But there, people have so many narratives and so many feelings and opinions about stuff. And if you want to get down and dirty and actually put together a spreadsheet and talk about, you know, cash flows, earnings, balance sheets, selling prices, you know, et cetera, et cetera deliveries motorheads are guy and so um you know i always talk about the car company shall not shall not be named no it needs to be named and we all know it, know it. and save it without further ado motorhead um i'm just gonna give you the mic and you talk about whatever angle you want go as long as you want but um you know i i guess when it comes to tesla you know forget about oh you know you and i have some opinion about the stock what i'm not i'm less interested in that than I am. Remember when you're in high school and you do a math problem and then the teachers will show me your work? So show me your work. Show the room your work. Tell the room your work. Okay. So why don't you just weigh in Motorhead? Like, where are you on Tesla? Why? How did you get there? And, and let's leave emotion, not that you're an emotional guy, but it's easy for idiots like me to get triggered by Elon Musk and all this sort of stuff. You know, liars figure, but figures don't lie. So, Motorhead, the floor is yours. Thank you, George. By the way, congratulations. You're um, up 25% since October, and you've outperformed the uh, S&P by uh, 20%. So um, well done. And I hope you had a great vacation. Um, so Tesla, the, the biggest thing, the, the thing that everybody should realize is that um, Musk, who is a, you know, total narcissist, and, you know, it's, it's not a surprise that ever since he took over, you know, Twitter, that he's like dropping in on these spaces, which is it's it's like the gift that keeps on giving. It's like and he dropped in on this space on um, Thursday night, I believe. And um, he he went out there and he said, I'm not going to sell any more Tesla stock until, you know, at least 2025. And that was the headline. Bloomberg had it and everything. But um, there's it, it, anybody who who follows Tesla should follow this YouTube channel called um, Tesla Daily. It's a Tesla fanboy run channel um, by Rob Maurer. And um, he's extremely objective. And he, he's a fanboy, but he, he, he completely tells it like it is. 
And so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm I listen to this every day when I wake up. And um, he said that uh, he said, yes, Elon said that he's not going to sell anymore. But he also said this. And these are the three points that that anybody who's invested in Tesla should think about. He said 2009. Um, this is Musk's. He said, he said um, 2023 could be like a 2009 type of recession. And um, that's pretty bad. And he said, um, in that situation, Tesla could maintain prices, but would lose volumes, which is a no brainer. Um, and then he said, um, but, we, but Tesla is not going to lose volume, meaning he's going to chase market share which is, I mean, I've been covering autos for 27 years. When, and Nissan, look at Nissan. I mean, they're a piece of shit right now. And um, all they did was, was uh, under Carlos Ghosn, was chase market share. And in, in um, the, the second quarter of 2020, after you know, that everybody had to stop their factories because of COVID, they burnt through 80% of their net cash. I mean, this is, I've never seen anything like this. But it's like, it's like the... It's like they say, it's like, you know, when the tide runs out, you know, we'll all know who's not wearing swim trunks. And that's exactly what happened. And I think Tesla's in that same boat. And the, the third point that he said was, um, Tesla will grow, whether it leads to lower margins or negative margins. And I just can't believe this didn't make, make the news. It's like he, he basically guided for 2023 that they might make losses. I mean, I, I sort of knew that, but um, it's, it, it, it was astounding that um, the big takeaway from that, from that Twitter space that he made was um, that they're, he's not going to sell any more shares. It's like, who the, who the hell cares, you know? But anyway, so here's, here's the problem with Tesla. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is what's going to really kill them next year, in my opinion. Um, they built up Model Y capacity not only in China, where they already had it, but they built a new factory in, in Austin and they built a new factory in Grunheide. And um, they basically have, um, if you look at the price range from $60,000 to $80,000 SUVs, they have 60% capacity versus what the entire market sold globally last year in 2021. And um, even if that market doubles, they still have 30% capacity for the entire market. Now, just to give you um, a benchmark for what this means is um, the only car model on earth that has ever like commanded that kind of market share is the Toyota Corolla. They've, because they're the only ones, they're the last ones making a cheap compact car. And they've got 45% of global volumes in that price class for that type of car. So I just, I just don't see how Tesla <laughs> will not come crashing down um, sort of like Nissan did in, in, in Q2 of uh, 2020 after COVID, um, you know, without, you know, without um, losing everything. I mean, this, this is like, it's a no brainer. And so what I'm waiting for, and George and I had a, great conversation the other day. It's like, I just can't wait to see because they've committed to 50% year on year growth. I can't wait to see how Musk 
explains whether they still will or not make 50% growth next year. So, and, so and- yeah, so Marty, let's just stop right there. So let's get into it a little bit. So my reaction, um, I, 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 I was in that space, I listened to it. And like you, I was shocked uh, about the takeaways coming out of that space. I thought I was in a parallel universe. Um, the fans all had their knee pads out. Um, and, and if you just, if you knew it to listen for, talking about, you know, you know he, he wants to talk about a recession. Well, wait a second. This is the company which supposedly had infinite demand and the levers are, they just have to start advertising. Like what happened to that story, right? And so right. When Elon Musk starts weighing in about Jerome Powell shouldn't raise interest rates. It's sort of like, you know, look over here, not over there. And the narrative's changing. And you have a bunch of sycophants who don't know how to do any securities analysis, don't know how to look at balance sheets or income statements. And I'm taking notes, and I'm like, wait a second. The guy's telling you units are going to be down. The guy's telling you he's going to cut price in order to continue to grow. And I'm starting thinking to myself, oh, my God. So Motorhead, let's break it down. Let's break it down. Okay. Let's go to – one of the things I think people in these rooms like is you know, they, about these rooms is it kind of – these rooms tend to take on what a high-level buy-side conversation might look like, right? So from one auto analyst to another, you and I, to talk about – let's first, first talk about 4Q in terms of uh, how deli- what you think delivery is going to do relative expectations. And, all, and, and first we're going to do 4Q, then we're going to do 1Q. So let's talk about what the shortfall, in your view, might be with respect to deliveries and gross margins. And given the way operating leverage works in a company, you know, you cut price. Let's just walk through that. Talk about, obviously, you don't know what their is going to be. But let's talk about min-max probable for 4Q numbers. And then we're going to get into min-max probable for 1Q23 in the year 23. So let's talk about the potential downside in the earnings. Like, how bad do you think the 4Q earnings could be as you look at the numbers? I've got minimum 17% um, miss versus um, versus the um, consensus estimates. And that's with th- this is with a really generous assumption that their, their Q4 um, COGS per unit um, drops by 5%, or, sorry, 3%. And actually, this year, um, COGS per unit has not dropped at all. It's, it's it's gone up and up and up and it makes sense because they've got two new factories that they're ramping and using their lax accounting standards um it, it they they depreciate their fixed costs by um unit volume so the more they produce um they're they're going to depreciate more but the thing is that works when your prices are high but if prices are going down and they have to depreciate more volume it, like Musk said, they might have negative margins. Did everyone hear that? Negative margins. Negative margins. I didn't say that. Musk said that. No, I know. I know. I know. And for a guy who, you know, always spins things in a positive way, think about that, boys and girls. So, Motorhead, you're saying you think there's a minimum 17% earnings miss in 4Q. How bad could it get? 4Q. So- uh, minimum 17% miss in 4Q. And I'm, by the way, my delivery estimates are 420,000 units versus consensus, which is 430. Um, I, I don't care about, you know, you, you've got all these like, you know, Tesla fanboys counting cars and thinking they're financial experts. Um, I don't give a shit about 
the volumes. It, it's all, it, you know, I've been an auto analyst for 27 years. It, you, you can sell all the volumes you want, but if, if prices go down, you're going you're gonna to lose money. Uh, but the point is, if I take, if I take Q4 COGS, uh, co- cost of goods sold per unit, and let's say I give it, you know, um, let's say instead of going down 3%, it stays flat with the uh, Q, Q3 level, um, then, I mean, it's, 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 it's a shit show. I mean, we're talking about, instead of a 17% miss, we're talking about a 36%, sorry, 27% miss. Okay. So Motorhead, 4Q, um, you know, is, is the plane of flex downward. 4Q only begins to reflect what could happen. So now let's roll forward to 23 with a full effect of uh, price cuts and and, and, and and declining volumes hits and talk about you know what you think I mean they keep talking about 50 percent or you know unit growth all this nonsense talk about um, what the minmax probable where where deliveries might go and obviously you know they can sell more if they just cut price more so there's a trade-off between pricing and volumes. Talk a little bit about where you think deliveries could go, what growth in deliveries could be in 23 relative to the consensus. And then, um, so let's start with that, and then we'll talk about margin. So so, so contrary to 50% unit growth is what they've been pro- promising the street, a guide in the street. What do you think unit growth might look like in 23? Well, I mean, it depends on prices, but, um, I'm, you know, I know I know these guys, you know, and they're going to, they'll, they'll drop prices and they'll try to, you know, fake it in the on the accounting front. But, um I see uh, I mean, the street has 1.9 million for next year. Um, I've got 1.5, so only 16% growth. Wait, 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 wait. The street's at 1.9 and you're at 1.5. Did you say that? Did you say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1.5. And this year's going to be what, like 1.4? This this year's going to be 1.3. Okay, so, this, so now the company whose units are supposed to be growing 50% a year forever, it's only going to be up fifteen percent. Your best guess in twenty three, right? Right, with a, with about you know fifteen percent price cuts. Okay, so now let's play with this motorhead. Tesla's gross margin using their fraudulent accounting. By the way, by the way, we have a witness. We have this fellow Whalen who's going to come in the room up on stage in a minute after you. Okay, I think he used to work in the Fremont factories. This is going to be good. Um, so motorhead using their fraudulent accounting where they capitalize a lot of expenses. They claim to have, what, a 27% gross margin or some nonsense like that? Uh, 30, so just explain, uh, 30. Sorry. Sorry, 30. Okay. Explain to people, um, you know, to steal that line from margin calls. So, Mr. Motorhead, I understand that you uh, you know something about uh, automobile income statements. Okay, fine. So, Mr. Motorhead, if you have, if you have, a, 30, if you have a 30% gross margin and you cut prices by 15%, what does that do to your um, gross margin? Pretend I'm a golden retriever or a small child. <laughs> okay, so I've got um, given given the price. Uh, so I'm assuming like a 15 percent price cut. I mean that's minimum uh, for Tesla next year because no no one's buying cars right now un- unless they're unless they're you know discounted. Um, I, I spoke to Subaru yesterday. Yesterday, by the way, and. Um, they're saying that the uh, the loan situation and the lease situation is getting really screwed up, and they don't even have a captive finance division. But what I'm saying is that um, 
they're fine because they have dealerships, but Tesla sells directly to the customer. So all, all these 30% price hikes that they had since COVID started, they pocketed 100% of that. Um, the OEMs, the legacy guys, they, their dealers pocketed most of the price hikes. So what's going to happen is you're going to have um, the OEM and they're, they're starting to lower prices. It, it's, it's, it, and, and they don't care because it's like all, they make 75% of profit growth from increase in output. The OEMs do, the legacy guys. And Tesla probably does too. But if their prices go down, they, 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 they lose money. So I've got unit volume going up 16%. I've got prices going down by around 15%. And, and that's generous given how expensive their cars are right now. And, and we're, we're already seeing order cancellations. But so I, I like to look at operating margins because, you know, um, the, the big, the US, you know, big three, um, they like to use, you know, gross margins, which doesn't include R&D and Tesla does it more sort of like a Europe, European accounting style, which puts R&D at SGNA. So I look at operating margins. So they made 16% operating margins in Q3, ex-ZEV credits and all that. Um, I see that going to 12% in Q1. And just to give you an idea, I'm looking at Q1 consensus right now. And um, the uh, consensus net income, gap net income estimates are... Um, four billion dollars. I've got two point five. And by the way, by the way, Motorhead, if you're talking about sixteen percent operating margin, Ceteris Paribus, and you cut prices by fifteen percent, how do you get only a twelve percent operating margin? Why shouldn't it be a number closer to zero? It, uh, it's yeah, I agree, I agree. But I'm 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 modeling things out the way Tesla runs their books. So I, I, right. I'm a victim. No, I, 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 I get that. I get that. But in terms of just simple numbers, again, liars figure, but figures don't lie. So listen, the future is unknowable. Um, it's always been next probable. But what you're describing is a left tail, which is so enormous. I mean, the, the decline in earnings for Tesla could be just like unbelievably bad, don't you think? It's, it's catastrophic. Like, like, like I said, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll post this chart later, but Nissan was the dodgiest, um, you know, in terms of accounting and, and in terms of like you're looking at, you're following their monthly unit volumes and everything. And then they come out with, with this earnings surprise when they should have like an earnings demise. And um, and so they, they frauded their way through like, you know, through the through the uh, QE bubble from 2009 to, you know, whatever. And then once COVID hit, Oh my God! So, so Toyota and all these other guys—they—they, they, you know—they—they they did badly, but um, Nissan actually—they um, burnt through eighty percent of their net cash, and they had to issue a, a three billion dollar bond after that. Right. So, Mona, let's put it this way: What are consensus uh, earnings per share? For Tesla in 2023, market support looking. So let's figure about fourth quarter 22. What are consensus earnings estimates for Tesla in 2023? What is your sort of best guess? Not trying to be a hard ass about it. And then give us a range about min-max problem. Where could earnings per share go for Tesla in 2023? Okay, so you have to forgive me, but um, I sort of go by gap net income. Okay, all right. Okay, fine. Gap net income. Yeah. That's fine. Go ahead. I've got... Go ahead. Um, 
I've got gap net income um, in 2023 at um, $5.2 billion. Um, and uh, the street is, hold on one second. Um, the street is at, I think, something like, um, yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. 20, 22 billion net. Whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. So I'm, I, stop. I'm, I'm, I'm we, we have a bad connection here. We have a bad connection here. You just said the street was at 17 and you're 5.2. Did I get that straight? I'm, I'm at 5.2. The street is at 17.5. Mic drop. Okay. And then Motorhead, if, so that, that's like your single point best guesstimate. But if you were to like bracket that in terms of how good could it be? And how bad could it be? What's the range you, you could see on this thing? I, I think realistically, given given like I, I've seen, you know, I've been through the dot com, the you know financial crisis and all that, and um, I've I, I've 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 followed autos through the whole time, and I think um, to you know to be realistic, I think the, uh, I think Tesla will make a loss next year. Tesla will make a loss because there's not never been a car maker who builds two new factories to make the same model usually when you when you build a new factory you're building a new model you know uh i mean there are exceptions okay like um the rav4 became the most popular you know passenger car in the u.s so they had to build another factory for it but um it's like tesla built like two new factories and expanded their um shanghai factory by 30 percent in capacity just to build the model y it's like it's ridiculous. I've never seen anything like this happen. We, so, it's a, so motor, it's yeah, so motor, train wreck. Motor, yeah, so motor. So look, let's put some other numbers on this. So streets at what you said, seventeen billion. Is that what you said? Or Twenty-two billion in that income for next year, seventeen billion. Yeah. Um, yeah. The stock. They still have a market cap of three hundred ninety billion, despite the fact that it's collapsed so much. Right. You're at five. You're at five billion. <clears throat> um, five billion, seventeen billion. It's a freaking car company, and the market cap's three hundred ninety billion. And you've got units growing only uh, from one three to one, one three to one five next year. Yeah. Um, so now let's talk about valuation because I think we're gonna we're gonna get witness up here in a second. So let's talk about valuation and cash flows because like the numbers, I mean the numbers are fraudulent. They're just fraudulent. I've never seen any company with such aggressive accounting as Tesla. And you know, look like look at cash conversion. You look at net income, and, and then you look at actual cash. There's like a huge gap. Uh, between them but um let's talk about valuations and you and i had a conversation the other day we were looking talking about price to sales or ev to sales i mean it's hard to fake sales it's easier to fake earnings so you help me a little bit here um tesla they're gonna do what 80 some odd billion um in revenues this year from the sounds of it Sounds like you, you're not looking for any any revenue growth next year. If you got units at 15, 16, and pricing down at 15, you're kind of like flat. The street, I haven't looked at it recently, but I seem to remember they're at 110 or 115 billion or something like that. So at, so at 85 billion, you're at you know four and a half uh, times flat sales uh, in terms of EV to sales. Has that stack up to uh, other EV, other other automobile companies, Motorhead? I mean, from recollection, from memory. Don't auto stocks tend to sell like half of revenues or something like that? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, um, uh, the average, so counting up the big boys, right? The ones who make, you know, like five to 10 million units a year. Um, their average EV to sales ratio is something like 0. 
Um, Tesla is like 3.5. So here's what I did. I, what I did was I, I gave, I gave Tesla, um, Ferrari valuations just to see, you know, based on my estimates. So if, if Ferrari trades at a 34 times earnings, um, on 20, 2023 estimates. If you give the same multiple to Tesla based on my my estimates, not consensus, um, Tesla should be at fifty dollars. Now, the better one is EV EBITDA, and even there, this is you know assuming that they don't make a loss next year, which which is is fifty fifty in my opinion. It should still be like at ninety dollars. So, um, it's. Well, and, and that's actually flattering to the company in the sense that if you were to put this in the same EV to sales multiple, let's do it that way, EV to sales multiples, auto, other auto stocks, what do you come up with, like 30 or something like that? Um, I haven't done that calculation in a while, but... Um... Yeah, but, but think about it for a second. You said the average guy's at zero seven. Yeah. These guys are three and a half, so take 80% off. I'm just doing it off the top of my head. I don't have the debt, the debt thing in front of me, but 80% off the equity value would be, you know, uh, $25. Yeah, no, and listen. My, so my, my, so, so let's, not, let's not argue between friends. It's okay. 25 or 50. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's 122 right now. Right. So what people don't, people don't understand is that you're looking at a step function change in the earnings estimates of this company. The earnings are going to collapse. And the, and the premium valuation, which has all been the Musk factor, that's going to collapse. Right. Um, and, you know, let me, let me ask you this, Motorhead. You know, what, what really triggers me, I got listen. I like people who disagree with me because I learn from them. But with trick, it makes me more thoughtful, and and, and, and it causes me to examine my own um, uh, uh, positions. But the Tesla, tam- Tesla fanboys, and if there are any in the room, please come up on stage. We'll be very respectful. It's not that I disagree with them. It's that I don't respect them. It's like a clown show. <laughs> you, and I could, you and I could agree. I want your reaction to this. You and I could agree, you know, you're being too hard on the gross margin here and you're not giving enough credit for the R&D over there. And da, 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 da. Okay. It's a clown show. Yep. These guys don't know how to do any analysis. Yep. And so they substitute all this other nonsense, which is any, you know, you know again, liars figure, but figures don't lie. It's all about the narrative. It's also about Elon. By the way, by the way, I hate, I hate People saying Elon, Elon, Elon. It's like they're, they're his personal friend. It's like when you watch sportscasters talk about Michael Jordan. Michael. <laughs> Who the fuck are you? Are you? You know him? No, it's Michael Jordan. It's Elon Musk. Elon, Elon. <laughs> okay. And so you so whenever you hear somebody talking about anything except numbers, it's like they're playing tennis running around their backhand. The reason they talk about anything but the numbers, witness, we're going to get to you in one second, because they can't talk the numbers. They substitute bullshit for substance. And what I like about you is you got the goods. You got the numbers. Liars figure, figures don't lie. And so, Motorhead, let me ask you, in your travels, when you come across some Tesla bulls, forget about the bears. I don't want to get a bear echo chamber. The bulls. Are there some bulls who... You can actually, and witness, we're going to get to you in a second. Are there some bulls out there who, 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 you, who you actually respect their analysis? Yes. No, there are. Believe me. And um, I take... And, you know, how, does that, how does that argument work? How does that argument work? Well, I mean, so 
there's this guy Matt Smith who 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 does models as rigorously as I do, and he so we compared our earnings estimates in Q2, and he was right. I was I was completely way off, um, but it had to do with the you know sales of Bitcoin. But the point is that um, there's some guys out there like Matt Smith who really you know do a good job on on doing their earnings models. Um, I would say that's the only guy I know. Um, there's some, there's some really, you know, sensible guys out there. You know, I, 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 I actually have a lot of, you know, fanboy friends. I mean, Twitter friends. I mean, there, there, there's some really smart guys out there, but the majority of them, unlike the Tesla Q crowd, um, they just don't know finance. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So motor, I'm going to stop and, um, Hey, hey, George. Yes, Motorhead. Um, we've got Carl Hansen on the space. Um, he 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 is the guy who um, who actually busted the uh, Rico case at the Nevada. Here, here he is. 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 Okay, he's easy. Okay, Mr. Hansen, welcome to the stage. Um, no doubt you've heard what's been discussed here. So. I don't know what you want. You can speak to any of it, all of it, or the floor is yours. We're all ears. Go for it, Mr. Hanson. Hey, George, thanks so much. I appreciate that. I did not hear all of it. Um, I, I did hear, I came in, uh, Brad invited me in, and um, I had heard you talking about um, the statement made by Musk. Um, and I'd actually, I don't know what space it was or where it was, but I had previously heard you tell that story. Um, and I thought it very profound when I heard it. It was over a year ago, I, I think. Um, whether Again, whether it was a space, I don't know where it was. But interestingly enough, uh, Motorhead had reached out and said that um, there has a, uh, it was another uh, a former uh, employee from Fremont. Um, and and they, they had mentioned and talked about drugs. Um, so I don't, look, I appreciate you getting me in here. I am not an engineer. Uh, let me just throw a disclaimer out there. I am not an engineer. Um, my, I'm a retired special agent with the Department of Defense. I'm currently a federal investigator um, in a different role with a different agency. I was recruited into Tesla. This is my short background. Um, as a result uh, of, of my background and experience um, and asked to work in their internal investigations department, I became an SEC whistleblower. Um, I'm currently an SEC whistleblower um, against Mr. Musk uh, and Tesla. I say against it's we know that the SEC and, and, and whistleblower complaints and TCRs are not litigation. But I subsequently filed um, a Sarbanes-Oxley whistleblower retaliation uh, claim uh, in Nevada District Court, uh, which is still ongoing against Mr. Musk, Tesla. Um, and, Carl, 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 yeah. Carl, tell them about the lithium. Uh, so bottom line is, I, I will, I'll do that. Let me just segue into that by saying while I was, what I was tasked to do um, was to conduct some pretty significant sensitive investigations with a primary focus being around narcotics trafficking, specifically high quantities of methamphetamine and cocaine allegedly tied to a Mexican uh, drug cartel. Uh, other than that, the, the second inter investigation involved large quantities of Tesla raw materials um, missing um, and, and allegedly being stolen, reported directly to us internally by Musk that between January of 2018 and June of 2018, $37 million um, of Tesla's raw materials, aluminum, all this high-grade high stuff was, was stolen, allegedly. Come to find out that was well over 100, closer to $150 million worth of product 
Um, and I had had this information internally when um, Lynette Lopez actually broke the story regarding Martin Tripp um, back in June of 2018. So where lithium came into this. So my background, as you can imagine, um, I had had some exposure and experience, uh, working in the counter narcotics, uh, activity and investigations. Um, and I kept seeing an increase in traffic regarding lithium and lithium producers visiting the factory. Um, and, and there were, I happened to know that Look, one of the primary cartels, uh, the Sinaloa drug cartel, was really Im- instrumental back in the day of... Uh, uh, sir, Carl, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. A lot of this stuff about drugs is interesting, but it's just not Yeah, what that's I'm fine. For. What do you want to know? I'm sorry, Brad. I, he asked me to jump in. Yeah, no, no, no. I want to talk about, I want to talk about potential fraud and... Um, George. I want to talk George. about the fraud. Att- that, that's what I want to hear about. I don't want to hear about drugs. Well, George, fine. No. I don't... I, Go ahead. This is this is money laundering from the from the battery. Yeah. Oh, 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 okay. But but let's keep it. When when I was targeted inside, what, one of the things that you're talking about with respect to fraud is that it was regularly put out um, from executives, VPs, and individuals on that on that production line and floor that. Um, Mr. Musk's directives were clear. That we'd get called into what was called uh, a place called the war room exclusively investigations personnel directed by a team of um, thugs that Musk hired from Uber, okay? And and the only focus, the sole focus, and the directive from Mr. Musk was that he didn't give a shit about anything other than the Tesla's fucking stock price. That was the bottom line. He was tired of complaints. He was tired of people bitching about why they were having problems with, at the time, the Model 3, bot, the Model 3 battery pack, okay? And then we had the, uh, the, the 420 funding... Uh, secured uh, situation, which was more fraud, um, that ultimately the DOJ was brought in with the FBI to conduct a criminal piece of that investigation. Um, and ultimately, uh, for reasons and information that well, it doesn't matter. The point is, um, everything going on in 2018 during my tenure was being directed by Mr. Musk and, and investigations into these other things, okay? Sorry to use the word remiss, whether it, the drug trafficking, the fact remains that between February of 2018, uh, January of 2018 and June of 2018, unbeknownst to people, the FBI had an ongoing sealed investigation into um, um, a drug trafficking organization that was, in fact, moving large quantities of shit from Mexico. There was talk by, from investigators I spoke with that um, allegations that somehow this was related to large scale money laundering and fraud. I never got that far. I was shut down and, and, and pushed out. So my point being is that I'm no, I don't care about my personal situation. I'm not looking for accolades or pats on the back. Um, but I'm just going to shut up and let you guys talk and I'll listen to other people. Thanks. So, um, Carl, can you speak to any knowledge of uh, financial fraud at Tesla? I can speak to no personal financial fraud knowledge other than what I was made aware of in coordination and interviews and testimony um, uh, provided to and discussions with Martin Tripp's then former attorneys, what they told me. I have no specific firsthand. So, so, so maybe I misspoke. I didn't choose. It's my fault. I didn't choose my words carefully. Can you talk about 
not stuff that you're personally involved in, but can you talk about knowledge that you have from other people about actual fraud that's occurred at Tesla? I can talk about being told that there was there was fraudulent contracts ongoing um, with in with uh, contractors on site and between Panasonic and Tesla with respect to millions of battery cells that I do know that I have photos of them. They were removed. And, and that's all I know about that. So, no, I can't I can't go further. Carl, no, no. But that, no, but that, that that's that's pure gold. So yeah. Can you no, talk about no, that? Carl, Carl, tell him about the lithium. I mean, look, tell him about the lithium. What, what, what aspects of the lithium that that so here's it. OK, with the lithium. I, and again, it, it tied into the narcotics thing just because. But I went down, I, I started, there was lithium. This is a large lithium people coming up from Mexico, South America, uh, Asia, all over. And they're doing these visits. And I started to uh, inquire because I, I had identified the FBI investigation at that time tied to this methamphetamine shit. So I went down to a warehouse that Tesla had there and I started um looking for lithium shipments and I was introduced to I introduced myself as an internal investigator for the company to a warehouse manager. I asked him to take a look at the the tracking documents and shipping documents for specific items coming from um, they have this this global tracker of and I hadn't seen anything like this before I guess logistics wise and supply chain companies can track everything okay so he pulls the system up he's showing me everything and I said I'm looking specifically for lithium coming from this particular area in 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 mexico um and or uh, other areas of central and south america so the guy was really really apprehensive and he and he again wanted to know what the hell i was looking at and i told him i'm conducting an internal investigation um about people above you and me and um he said he needed to call his supervisor he called his supervisor he couldn't get a hold of him guy got back on pulled up a computer and when he when he, when he pulled this thing up i said this is what i'm looking for i'm looking for lithium shipments coming out of these areas he pulled up i think six or eight different shipments coming out of the particular area that I was I was looking at and I said pull down open up the manifest I want to see everything on this and at that point he got real squirrely um, he quickly shut the thing down I was able to get a screenshot uh, on my phone I immediately got a phone call um, and at that point was directed that I would not make any further inquiries about lithium I would not um, go to these warehouses and at that point I was further marginalized and pushed out and then put on a Oh, you, you, you were sure. asked to, to go to the head legal counsel to, to get more. Oh, yes. Good point. Good point. So, yeah, that is a great point. It's one thing that really early on got my attention. I'm so good. I'm glad you recalled that. There's just been so much with this. So when I first started looking at this, um, I was told the primary point of contact for lithium um, was then general counsel, um, Musk's former uh, divorce attorney. What was his name? Um Oh, gosh. Oh, and General, hold on. Bear with me here. Uh, we don't need you, you, anyway. You, Carl, Carl, don't get hung up on the name. Just keep going with the story. All right. So the story is this. So I, I, I was told that that's who I needed to. When I first went over to I, I went to the executives working over there in the VP's office, the, you know, whoever the hell that was at the factory. And I started asking around. I said, I need to I need to get copies of lithium. They said, well, hold on. Made a bunch of phone calls to some people in Fremont. Then she got back to me. She wrote down on a piece of paper, okay, if you're talking about lithium, your your point of contact is the general counsel. And I said, that makes no sense to me. Why why is the gen why am I calling the general counsel? Well, I don't know, but that's what um what's her name, you know, the the the, the 
whoever's in charge of HR crap and all this told me that's who I had to call. So I called and left messages, got into an office, got, um, um, I think either a paralegal or a secretary told them who I was and I want to speak to general counsel. I'm over, I'm an investigator over at, um, at the Gigafactory in Reno, Sparks. Um, please call me back. I've got questions regarding lithium and shipments. I sent emails, nothing, never got. And, and then it was after that, after probably a week or so, of no response, nobody's returning phone calls. I, I, and again, I was perplexed by why the hell I would talk to Tesla's general counsel regarding lithium. So I, that's when I took it upon myself um, at the direction of my boss to continue my investigation to go back down to the warehouse, um, uh, to go to the warehouse initially. And that's where this all transpired. And then subsequent to that, um, like I said, I was I was removed from the picture and the equation was further targeted um, and, and ultimately Call you know, what the rest of what, what was what was lithium used for? So lithium is a primary component that that created oh, they ultimately allowed for um, a product. I mean, you, you, you term super meth, right? It was a super highly high grade, real super methamphetamine. And, and the Sinaloa cartel was responsible for. Um, you know, putting this together. And so what, what was being seen with cartels when this stuff came out was that, you know, they were, they were, they were going into battery locations. They were just stealing batteries, extracting lithium from batteries and different sources. And then they, um, they would, there were issues tied to solar um, and, and, and batteries, battery packs related to solar. Um, And so that, that's, that's what was going on with this. And that's why the lithium came on my radar um, because I had also identified the, the drug trafficking organization that was un, under investigation. I had five employees, members of this cartel, working at the Gigafactory during this time, um, and so it was. It was. It was very interesting. And so, with respect to the Panasonic stuff, um, prior to the them um, finally really moving me totally off site, um, I, I was conducting a a security uh, patrol. Uh, because I had been removed from investigations by this this time, and I was going down into the um, the A, B, C, D, D, and E areas of the Gigafactory, and I found millions of batteries, little battery cells that were over there, um, that were stored in in areas still under construction in the Gigafactory. And I was approached by um, I was approached by an engineer from Panasonic. Sorry, I say an engineer. I believe he was an engineer from Panasonic who said. Hey, sir, because he saw my uniform, right? And and he said, look, all these battery cells, we've got hot work here. This is all under construction. We got welders. I've told them, and, and we can't have this. They were worried about these lithium battery cells. And we're talking millions of them. So I started taking photographs of this. And I, then I went over to Panasonic's people. And I said, hey, because I knew an investigator that was was hired over there. And I, I said, what in the hell is going on with, with these battery uh, pallets over here? They're, they're all... Um, labeled rework this that and the other thing um, or, or and I talked to an individual that was conducting counting them and he said that they were he didn't really know but he was told to count them and enter information in the computer and they were going to send them to Tesla's recycling facility and that had been the second time that I had heard from somebody with some credentials about a place called Tesla's recycling facility. This tied into the larger scale theft 
um, of copper and other things that were ongoing. And I had been told by a VP or I'm sorry, a superintendent. Yeah, I was going to Tesla's recycling facility. Well, Tesla didn't have a recycling facility. The only thing that came into play where we thought that there was more fraud was some type of um, behind the scenes operation with Redwood Materials, which if you remember, J.B. Straubel created Redwood, right? Um, Redwood opened shop in Carson City, Nevada, officially in August of 2018, all about the same time that I'm doing this, all these millions of battery cells. And then I was told that there was confrontation um, between a vice president um, for Panasonic, who was in charge of um, these uh, cells and productions, and and there were contract issues, and that uh, they felt that um, Tesla was somehow defrauding Panasonic, Panasonic was not meeting, you know, goals. But again, that's not my wheelhouse. Okay. I don't have expertise in that. You asked what I was told, what I heard. Those yeah, no, Carl, I was- Carl, no, Carl, I, I appreciate it. It's really helpful. But so let's go back to you, Motorhead. So Motorhead, can you contextualize everything Carl's saying in terms of the bigger picture? Cause let's look, cause we've gone down a rabbit hole here. And, and I just, I have to say as a side, I apologize to everyone in this room for the fact that I mistakenly let that Weber guy in here. Um, you know, what are you saying? Maybe true. Maybe it's not true. I don't know. But um, given a chance to try to uh, get back on point and, and explain to the relevance of bigger fraud and whatever, uh, and his inability to do so, and frankly, the depths to which he reveled in going into a lot of his personal stuff, I don't, frankly, there's a reason he's not in this room anymore. I, I frankly don't find him credible at all. So apologies to everyone in this room for having your time wasted with that guy. But anyway, Mr. Hansen knows what he's talking about. So Motorhead. I want to go to you because what I'm really interested is not so much the personal aspect of this whole thing, but in terms of the culture of fraud. I see we have Jim Chanis in the room who coined the phrase legal fraud. I mean, some of this stuff, it's not legal fraud, it's illegal fraud. I mean, I've never seen such aggressive accounting in my life. How he, how Tesla gets away with this is just beyond me. So Motorhead, do you have any, could you give us some perspective on, you know, your assessment of Tesla's accounting practices vis-a-vis all, other auto makers what all the other all the makers have told you what they how they view tesla's accounting practices and how do you think tesla gets away with this motorhead so um well i mean the way tesla gets away with it is because um you know uh, there are no regulators who are willing to go after them um unfortunately but um listen weber and carl hansen's um testimony it, it was their personal experience and and let me just put everything into a nutshell it all coincided with the um, with the uh, December 2018 quarter. It was Q4 of 2018, and um, and it coincides with with um, Panasonic having made a huge jump in operating margins on their on their Tesla sales. And um, what it means is that um, there was a lot of dodgy stuff going on at that time, just like Carl said, and just like Weber said. And, and there's like, you know, um, okay, there was the drug aspect of it, but, but I, I'm telling you right now, Panasonic said that long-term, we will make 10% operating margins on our battery sales to, to Tesla. Now, I've been interviewing them since like, you know, 2010. And, um, and what happened was when they were ramping up the Model 3, um, like I just said, is, is they, you know, uh, they were taking losses and then all of a sudden they, they, they went from operating losses to like a 11% operating profit margin. I'm like, Oh, 
isn't this great? And, and, and they're like, don't get too excited about it. I'm like, why? And they said, it's because Tesla ordered too many battery cells from us and, and um, asked us to hold on to the inventory. So this is a huge fucking deal. I mean, when, when you're, when you're a, you know, an auto manufacturer and you order stuff, it goes into your raw materials, your inventory. And so let me just finish. It boosted um, cash flow by about $200 million. At that time, that was huge for them. No, I, I, I get it. Okay, it's interesting, but but let's just, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to reset the room right here because I just, I just, I want to apologize to everybody in this room. Um, that guy Weber should have never been allowed in here in the first place. Um, I, I, I've blocked him. I think he's full of shit. I think he was lying. I think he was just trying to grab attention for himself and has poisoned this room. So because of that, uh, I'm going to, we're going to change this from completely. We're not going to talk about Tesla anymore. We are done talking about Tesla. This is the reason why, you know, for so long, a long period of time, there's certain things we try not to talk about in this room. One is crypto, the other one is Tesla. And Motorhead, you did a great job. And I thank you uh, for, you know, real tour de force. But that guy and Carl, I thank you as well. But that jackass Weber, I could use stronger terms than that. That guy is a self-aggrandizing, attention-seeking piece of garbage. And I don't believe a word he said. And I'm sorry anyone had to listen to that nonsense. I think he's a complete fraud. He is a complete fraud. And you know what? If he's got a problem, he can come back in this room and say it to my face. He can go pound sand as far as I'm concerned. He's a term bad actor. That guy's a bad actor. The hell with him. All right, so Motorhead, let's just get back on point. And maybe you can trigger Jim Chanos here. It'll come up. So so, so the elevator pitch Motorhead on the short is you think deliveries, they'll be lucky to a million five next year up to a million three, which is only up 16%. The street's at a million nine. Streets at $17 billion in gap earnings for 2023. Hey, Jim, I hope this will trigger you. You think it's going to be $5 billion. You think they could lose money? Yep. Um, and, and, and your reaction to the space today was the same as mine. I mean, as I tweeted out, he's basically paving the way for a huge profits warning. Uh, and all of a sudden, he's become an expert on Fed policy and Jerome Powell. And, and, and you, know, the, you know, whatever happened to, we can sell as many cars as we need to. We just don't advertise. I think we got him out of his cage, out of his cave. So, Mr. Chanos, um, welcome, happy birthday, my friend. I don't know. I'm sorry you probably had to listen to some of the nonsense, but if you were in the room earlier, uh, Motorhead was masterfully said as to why he thinks Tesla could lose money in 23. What do you say about that, Jim? <laughs> well, I only stopped by to wish you a happy birthday, George. You're you're a day you're a day <laughs> after me. So. Uh, and I'm on to my second Bloody Mary uh, uh, on my birthday. But uh, so so uh, happy holidays, everybody. Uh, I, I didn't catch any. I, I just caught the last 10 minutes. Um, so I apologize. But uh, uh, yeah, so, look, uh, so, look, Jim, I'll just give the accelerate elevator pitch. Motorhead's like deliveries would be lucky to a million five, only up 15 percent next yeah. year. He thinks prices are down 15 percent. He's got a five billion dollar gap number for uh, uh, for, for 23. He thinks they could lose money. We both equally view uh, Musk's uh, out-of-character Twitter space uh, appearance and everything he said is paving the way for a huge profits warning in 23. That's the gist okay. of it. What say, what say you? Well, the, you have to remember that, that what you need to focus on is China because this company was unprofitable uh, as late as 2019 until Shanghai ramped. And when Shanghai ramped, 
gross margins exploded uh, from basically mid-teens to, to mid to high 20s. And if you obviously look at their 10K and even some of their disclosure in their 10Qs, it's very clear that all their money is made abroad. And, and we believe almost predominantly, if not entirely in China. And so the demand problems in China are real. You saw the news today that they, they you know, pulled forward the plant closing by a few days. Okay, whatever. But, but you also have to understand that selling $50,000 cars in China is the same as selling $200,000 cars here. It is a very small market and, and based on income levels. And, and so once you, you get to, to backlog demand, and we know that that's been dropping for six months. Um, incremental sales, despite the ramp of the Shanghai factory, are going to be increasingly difficult in that part of the world. Now, I don't think Berlin is going to be a profitable factory. And, and we know that the U.S. has not been profitable, even when, when Fremont maxed out by 2019. So all of the special sauce here is in China. That's where the cash flow is. That you know Whether or not it can be repatriated is questionable. And, and so... On top of all of that, he's now facing, it looks like, demand slowdowns generally beyond China. And so, you know, whether it was Dan Ives, I don't know if you saw my tweet yesterday, you know, Super Bowl Dan Ives uh, very quietly, you know, cut his his out-year revenue numbers. He's got 16% growth in the fourth quarter next year versus this fourth quarter. And and the sell side sees what we're talking about. Make no mistake about it. They're just trying to tiptoe the numbers down. And, and increasingly, it's going to be very, very hard to justify this Tesla's growing at 40 to 50 percent. Um, it, it's, it's probably not going to happen in 2023. We're beginning to see number cuts. And, and you know, with it, tell me that, that any technology company does well. I remember, you know, Dan, Dan Benton's crib sheet from 2000. You know, you don't buy technology stocks when numbers are being cut. Tesla is still at five times revenues here and numbers are being cut. And, and the, you know, I don't think you need to know anything much more about the story. Other auto OEMs trade at, at three to five times um, gross profits. Tesla is still trading at, you know, let's see, they're going to make about 20 billion in gross profits. Tesla's still at 20 times gross profits. 100%, Jim. Hey, Jim, could you just hammer home the point again that you've eloquently made so many times about the size of the luxury car market globally and yeah. where, where Tesla is now? So prior to the pandemic, the luxury car market globally was about 2 million units. That was prior to the pandemic. It exploded, paradoxically, post-pandemic. And, and, and really, the luxury car market, which is, is U.S. dollars, 50,000 and up. Um, is about 4 million units uh, globally right now, half of those in the U.S. That's your market. And, and, and that's, you know, until Tesla gets a $25,000 or $30,000 car with bells and whistles, you know, even the Model 3, you know, pushes $50,000. And the Y and, and S and X are, of course, well above that. So this is an aspirational market. It is, it is a much smaller market than people think. It's not infinite. And so... You know, you get to you get to one and a half to two million units this year. And that's, by the way, that's not EV. That's all all cars. Um, you get to, to one and a half to two million units and you're talking 
40 to 50 percent of the entire luxury car market. And, and, and at that point, you know, law of large numbers kicks in and rate of change kicks in and you don't keep growing at 40 or 50 percent. And that's where we are with Tesla in 2023. We're, we're getting into the point where they've saturated the high end market and, and to their credit. Right. That's why they're a 400 billion dollar company. But when you have a growth multiple, you got to keep growing. And and if you double, you know, basically add to that lower margins and lower units. I mean, I don't know if, if they're going to lose money, but certainly trailing earnings right now through the third uh, trailing 12 month earnings through the third quarter, excluding regulatory credits at a full 21 percent tax rate is two dollars and 50 cents. And so I think that, that, you know, this thing, if, if peak earnings are right around now, which very well could be, and by the way, those are peak earnings coming from China. Um, what do you want to value that at? I, you know, 120 bucks is still expensive. Hey, Jim, Jim, take that, take that. And now you probably remember the old line from uh, one of Soros's books where he talks about the way to really make money in the market is, Figure out, determine what it is the market believes. It's not. It's actually not true. Right. Or, and more importantly, figure out when the crowd is going to realize they've been had. Do you think we're finally in that awakening phase right now in Tesla? Well, the variant perception. There's a couple of variant perceptions in Tesla. The, the one I think that is being deflated right now is that this will grow 40, 50 percent. You know, for the next five to seven years. Right. That 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 slowly but surely is dawning on people as numbers. And deliveries get cut in the backlog. By the way, the book to build now for the last six months has been, if the backlog numbers are, are accurate from some of the bulls, the book to bill is 0.50. So the, the 40 to 50% uh, growth forever is what's taken the stock down in the last six months. But the real variant perception that we keep up on harping on that, that nobody's talking about is that all of the profits are coming from China. And that's that's a risk that, you know, whatever you want to believe, you're not putting the same multiple on those profits as, as you should anything else. And I think that's that's the next realization was just how profitable Shanghai is relative to Fremont, Berlin and Austin. And, and that's going to be the next realization on a variant perception. Jim, Jim, sorry, Motorhead, you go ahead. Motorhead. Um, no, I see uh, the, the way they present it in their in their 10K and they only do it once a year and they did it for the first time uh, in 2021 is uh, is to show domestic and uh, international or overseas. Um, yes. Profit. Right. Yes. But yes. the thing is, you have to the, the, the thing that nobody understands, because like Tesla is like so bad with disclosure, is that. Um, that in the international profits, it it includes Fremont's exports to Europe and mm -hmm. to, to APAC. And so so the thing is, if you if you redo all that stuff, it's actually Fremont is actually about at about five percent operating margin, which is not much. But yes, China is huge for them. And and the thing about China is that um you know, everyone, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out here, I'm out here in Asia and, you know, everyone's bidding up the, uh, you know, the, the Chinese stock market right now because it's like, oh, reopening and everything and blah, blah, blah. But the point is, is um, the people I know on the ground in, in Shanghai and in Beijing, they're, they're, they're hurting. They, they don't, they don't have the money to go out and buy cars, which is why you've seen like eight times in the past, um, in the past six weeks, you've seen Tesla, 
give incentives for their cars. And, right. And the thing is, once Berlin ramps up, because that's, I mean, 40% of the Shanghai factory is, is shipping cars to Europe. Um, yeah. Once that, once, once Berlin ramps up and they have to, they have to ramp up Berlin. Otherwise they're going to like have huge losses. And once Berlin ramps up, Shanghai is going to, you know, be lost in the dust. And there's no demand in, 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 in China right now. Well, I mean, the, if, you're, if you're a Tesla bear, the, the thing you want them to be doing is to, to be opening new factories um, and, and into this. But in fact, they should have announced a, a new gigafactory by the end of the year. All they've announced is a production assembly facility in northern Mexico. Well, um, so, by the way, sorry, uh, sorry this, this Mexico facility is a way yeah. to to um, to help out uh, what's going to be a awesome. total collapse in China because what they're going to do they can't ship cars from China because the U.S. Um, has right. a twenty eight percent tariff on imported cars from China. Yep. So what they're, they're going to do is they're going to ship it to Mexico, which has no tariffs, and they're going to assemble kits from yeah. China and then ship it to the, to the U.S. But that's going to be a massive drop in gross margins. But then the question will be components and whether that qualifies for the full tax credit. And, and so, you know, there, there's um, there's lots of issues here. But again, George put his finger on the pulse. If the entire luxury car market, 50,000 and up, is four million units globally, um, you know, you get to one and a half to two, your rate of change of growth is going to slow dramatically no matter what. And, and that's the reality that Tesla's facing. And and you, you just can't grow that market at 40 or 50 percent per annum, you know, ad infinitum. And so that's what the market has begun to figure out. And that's what we're seeing with the backlog numbers. And now the question will be, what kind of multiple do you put on a profit stream coming out of Shanghai? And can you repatriate it? So, Jim, Jim let me ask you a question. Um, you uh, you're the one who coined the phrase legal fraud. I think most of us. No, Bethany McLean. Sorry, I stand correct. I stand correct. So I think uh, Tesla qualifies. uh, 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 It's very relevant for Tesla. Could you speak a little bit to the for the folks to understand? Let us count the ways in which Tesla engages in aggressive accounting. Well, I mean, look. First of all, you know, as 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 another uh, good commentator, Jim Grant said, you know, China is the People's Republic of Madoff. And so, you know, any any numbers coming out of China are suspect. And, and you know, virtually every large company and small company we've looked at China, we could point to things in the financial statements that didn't make any sense. And, and that's still, by and large, the case. And so if you're telling me that all of your profits are derived from the Shanghai factory, or virtually all your profits are derived from the Shanghai factory, you know, that's going to be the first red flag for me. And, and number one. But I mean, I, we can go back to all kinds of things um, in, in terms of, of, of uh, Tesla's accounts. But, but forget all that. I mean, you have a CEO who runs everything literally with an iron fist at this company with virtually no board over, oversight, who, who has a very challenged relationship with the truth. I mean, I, you know, just look at his statements down through the years, down through the weeks, down through the days. He literally, stuff he says, and people will say, well, that's Elon, right? He's, he's a visionary, whatever. But none of us in our businesses, none of us have the ability to lie 
repeatedly, no matter what our track record is in, in, in business or finance, right? You can't simply tell whoppers over and over and over again and then default on the fact that, yeah, but I have a really good track record. But he does. And, and I think that that should give any investor pause as to, you know, if you just have a really challenged relationship with the truth in your day-to-day life, well, then, you know, I don't, I don't believe any of your numbers. Who knows what's going on? Jim, 100%, 100%. So I don't know if you listened to or or read about the space that Musk appeared in on Thursday. And what was really interesting, more interesting than what he said was what he didn't say. When he starts going on about, you know, Jerome Powell and his opinion of Fed policy and this thing. And then in the next breath, he's talking about, well, you know, we may have we may have to drop prices to grow and this that and everything and then going back so to- so so I didn't listen but 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 one of my analysts did and so the simple the simple response to that is oh so what you're telling us is you're cyclical <laughs> <laughs> again gets back to are you a secular growth company or are you subject to interest rates now and and the economic cycle because that's certainly what you just said hundred percent so again I, I'm not going to pay. 20 times gross profits for that. Yeah. So you start putting on anything like a normal, I mean, it's an auto company after all. And you, you put, I mean, who knows they're going to lose numbers, but Motorhead, your 5 billion number is what, is, is what a dollar 50 a share or something like that uh, for next year? Sorry. I, I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not into these adjusted, you know, all right. Okay. Okay. Well, well, well it's got 390, 40%, billion, 40%. Three, yeah, three hundred ninety billion market cap, and you've got a five billion dollar earnings estimate. Five billion dollar earnings, yeah. earnings estimate. So I, I mean, so. I, I, I predict. I mean, you know, I might be wrong, and I've, I've always been wrong on Tesla because of you know whatever. But um, I, I think there will be a headline sometime next year where they say that um, Tesla is now a lower market cap than Toyota. Right, and, and Motorhead. Can you share with us in your conversations with the Japanese auto companies? Because I know you just said you saw Subaru and some of the other ones. When you talk to them about Tesla, what do you hear from them? What do they say about Tesla? Um, they, they, they don't like to. They love hearing about it, so they don't ask me about Tesla. But um, but when I asked them, I'm like, I, I so I talked to Subaru yesterday, and I said, um, you know, Tesla's like um making big offers like for year end and and all that stuff. And um, the, the interesting thing is that Subaru is like still raising prices. And, and the, the thing that the Tesla bulls love to say is that, you know, Oh, legacy is going to get, you know, go bankrupt and whatnot. But uh, the thing is, Subaru is still raising prices. They've just, they've just, they've just lowered the loans. And, And the thing, the thing to ask automakers right now, and this is the main reason why you've got order cancellations at Tesla is that um, people who buy cars on loans can't afford it. And right. and that's why you've got order cancellations at, at Tesla. So Motorhead, could you, and Jim, I, I think it's a really interesting point that Motorhead has. So Motorhead, could you go back to your point about how falling, um, how, how Tesla's going to be differentially impacted in a negative way um, because the fact they have a dealer, ne- they don't have a dealer network, and the legacy guys do. I think it's a point that uh, uh, Jim probably knows about or be interested to hear about. So, Motor, could you please repeat that? Point? Yeah. So it's it, it's it's uh, so uh, back when I um, when I wrote this report in in uh, in uh, you know at the end of June. But the point is is 
I spoke to all the automakers in Japan, and they all said that chip supply is coming back. And when chip supply comes back, that means they can produce more. And so they were all like saying, yeah, we're, you know, it's like better than expected. And I said, okay, but if you, if you guys like produce more, your prices are going to come down. And, 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 and I said, I said, how, how is that going to, you know, impact, you know, profits? And they said, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm like, what are you talking about? If like, you know, if prices come down 10% because inventory goes up, you know, 20%. Um, and they said, they said, actually, you know, because they have dealerships, um, they said, uh, actually, it's the dealers who, who have to, you know, have to take the price cuts because the dealerships actually have price gouged more than, you know, anybody else in, in, the, in the market during, you know, during the chip crisis. And the point is that, um, that uh, they, they, they said basically that um, if, our, if our unit production goes up by 10% and our prices go down by 10%, we will still make profits because our unit production goes up and the dealers take the hit. Tesla has a direct sales system. So they pocketed all of the 27% price hikes that they made up to now since COVID. And when, that, when, when, when the competition starts to lower prices, which they're happy to do, um, because they make, more, they make more money on unit you know, volumes going up, um, Tesla's going to get screwed. George, I have to uh, leave you. Uh, I've got a uh, Zoom birthday call with my kids who don't live in New York so at 4 o'clock. So, um, listen, I want to wish everybody on this a, a really happy holiday. And, and, George, a special thanks for doing these. These are, these are always terrific. And uh, when I do have time, I always try to stop by. So, uh, everybody have a great, uh, a great holiday and, and all the best and happy and healthy 2023. Thanks, James. See you around. Take care, man. Be good. Be good. Um, let's go to, uh, let's go to Deer Point and then, uh, William. Hey, Deer, here, Deer Point, what's up? Uh, hey, George, thanks for having me up. And, um, just a question. It, it actually goes back to that same, uh, space call that, uh, Musk was on a couple of days ago, um, bragging about how they have the highest gross margins in the industry. Um, and I, I'm sure Motorhead might, uh, watch this more than I do. Um, but if, like, with, with under provisioning for warranties, um, and also the fact that they don't include R&D and gross margin, um, doesn't that actually end up in inflating um, all of their gross margin numbers by like a, a pretty substantial amount? I, I think uh, what just in, you know, the way that they calculate their warranty provisioning, that adds, you know, hundreds of million dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars to income. Um, so this this whole idea of him sitting there bragging that he has you know better margins than uh, gross margins than Ford or, or Chevy or, or you know BMW um, just seems like a just a complete farce. But I'm not sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Dear point. Hundred percent. I mean, for for those of us that watch Tesla carefully, this has been a well known uh, lie, if you will, or aggressive accounting. If you actually look at their warranty provisions versus subsequent expenses. It, it, it's comical. It's pathetic how 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 bad it's been. Uh, Motorhead, do you want to weigh in on the particular numbers? Yeah. So I I I don't like looking at gross margins because like you know across the world. I mean the biggest you know. So I cover Toyota. Um, I I I cover Volkswagen. All those guys and none of those guys cover. Uh, none of those guys um, book R and D um, at the gross margin level. D 
the only the only car makers who do it are in the US. It's Ford and GM. So I don't I don't give a shit about gross margins. It's like, you know, if you were to normalize Tesla's gross margins um, on on, you know, a global basis, they, they actually they're not that high. In fact, in some cases, in some quarters, GM was actually higher than they were. So I, I don't look at that. I look at I look at pre-tax margins because that's the most important point. It's not only a point of how much you know money you spend on white collar workers and, and line workers. It also shows how well you manage your financial position because you've got and, 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 and interest expenses and interest income coming in there. So that that's but thanks motorhead all right listen guys um i want to uh get this conversation away from tesla uh to other things other like the market uh so um i don't want really any more tesla questions you're anyone's welcome to come up on stage but i think we've beaten tesla to death and um there's not much more to be said uh just to be very clear to summarize uh, motorhead is pointing out that he thinks the deliveries are likely only to grow 16% from million three to million, to million five next year, not the million nine. Consensus estimates are 17 billion in gap earnings next year. He's going for 5 billion. It's possible they're going to make a loss. Jim Chano's pointed out how they're getting all their earnings and then some from China. And that's really low quality stuff. It's an incredibly competitive market. Motorhead pointed out how differentially Tesla's going to be disadvantaged by, uh, by, by, by uh, normalizing supply chains and, and collapsing semiconductor prices. So, you know, again, sell is not a four-letter word. Uh, I don't think there's really anything more to say about it. Uh, I don't want any more questions about Tesla. Um, so you're welcome to, everyone's welcome to come up on stage. Uh, I'd like to turn the room to other things. Um, so let's go to William. Uh, if you have a question, please, the floor is yours, and then we're going to go to Glow. William, Glow, and then Sheldon. William, please unmute yourself. Perfect. Uh, thanks, George. Yeah, I wanted to comment, actually, on the market as a whole, and on Fed policy. Um, by the way, I saw you were at Fidelity. I don't know if you know Jeff Ubbin or if you overlapped with him at all. Yeah, I, I, I certainly I know Jeff, and he came a few years behind me. Uh, smart guy, very successful guy, did an incredible job with the value, I guess I do. Awesome. Yeah, I worked for him very briefly. Um, he's still someone I stay in touch with, so it's great to connect with you as well. Um, but the, the point I wanted to make and question I wanted to ask was um, a lot of Fund managers, Kathy Wood, Elon Musk, Ron Barron have, have made this point repeatedly that the Fed has gone too far, too fast. We're already in a state of deflation in their eyes, and that repeated rate hikes from here um, will put us in a very, very severe recession, probably more than is necessary to curb the inflation that we're seeing. And that 2023, you know, even if the Fed pause the rate hikes or, in their view, cut sooner rather than later, that would be enough to to handle the inflation we're seeing. Um, I think Elon made that point a few nights ago on Twitter Spaces as as well. My view, and and I want I'd love to get everybody else's view is you know given the history of of the eighties and and Arthur Burns and the fact that Arthur Burns was seen as somebody who was unable to tame inflation expectations because of his stop and go Fed policy, is that you know if you cut sooner rather than later, you risk the same thing of inflation becoming basically embedded into the system. Um, but with that said, obviously, the yield curve is, is so heavily inverted that, um, you know, there is a point at which you do start to risk run the risk of, of entering some sort of depression or 
you know, a, a recession, which is, which is going to do substantial damage. So would love anybody's thoughts in the room on that. I'm obviously not a, don't have a background as an economist or anything of the sort. I'm a fundamental investor, but would love anybody's thoughts on that. I'll, I'll answer that question and I'd like to move on to another question. I, I, we've spoken a lot about this. This is top of mind for most people. Um, so you know, right now, I mean, if, if you go back to the beginning of the year, a year ago, this time a year ago, I think the forecast for uh, Fed funds rates one year forward, like today, I think it was like, I mean, the Fed funds rate, I think it was a 50 basis, the short term rates were 50 basis points then. And the idea in the long bond was yielding one and a half. I see we got Michael Kramer in the house, so he can speak to this. Long bond was yielding one and a half. And the idea was, oh my God, if rates go up, it can't go up more than, you know, a percent, because if they do, the whole world's going to blow up. It's going to be levered. Everyone's levered, yada, yada, yada. The idea that rates could have gone up as much as they have and the world hasn't blown up, no one would have believed that. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is people like Jerome Powell, the Fed, Kathy Wood, Ron Barron, they'd be completely wrong in their view on interest rates and inflation. First, inflation was transitory. Then it was peaking already in the spring. I mean, it's just they keep moving the goalposts. And now they say it's going to go down to 2%. Why would you believe these people? They've been so wrong the entire way through the whole thing. The fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, wage gains are still accelerating. The average wage, wage gains are like 6 or 7% right now. And the gap between those quitting their jobs and leaving their jobs is around 2%. Yes, goods inflation is coming off the boil. But services inflation is still accelerating. And if you look at the index of sticky inflation, it still is extremely high. The market has assumed that, you know, they say, well, long-term inflation expectations remain well anchored. Just look at tips and all this other nonsense. Well, just because those are the expectations doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. The market has already taken on board the idea that, that you know, inflation is going to go back to 2% by the end of the year, by the end of next year. I don't believe that. But even if I'm wrong, it doesn't really matter. The market believes it's already in the price. So we had the great Vincent Deluard in this room about a month ago. I urge everyone to go look at my YouTube channel. He's there listening to him. All I can do is channel my incident, inner Vincent. And he makes a very good point you know, to understand where we're going with respect to inflation. You have to have proper context, i.e. understand how we got here. Where, how, how did we get here? And it was the factors, three factors of cheap labor, cheap goods, and cheap energy, which gave us the great moderation. And all those factors have stopped are now reversed. Cheap energy, no more. Cheap goods, we have deglobalization of supply chains, onshoring, ESG, all inflationary. Cheap labor. China now has a declining labor force. We have run out of labor in this country. We had 7 million people leave the labor force. They're not coming back. And so if you look back, and I think Jim Bianco's made this point, you go back, coming out of the great financial crisis, the market consistently overestimated inflation and interest rates. And therefore, if you bought bonds every year, you made money because inflation and rates came in, you wanted to take the under on inflation and uh, interest rates. Going forward, I think it's likely to be exactly the opposite. The idea that inflation is going to come down to 2% not happening, in my opinion. We'll be lucky to get it down to four. 
Vincent was making the case that maybe they just get it down to four and they see how impossible it's to go any further. And come the spring, when it cuts down to four, they'll just give up. And if that's the case, they'll say mission accomplished and they'll, and they'll, they'll, stop, the, they'll, they'll stop the QT. And if that's the case, think about what that means for bond prices. The 10 year at 370, I would short bonds right here, right now. I would short bonds right here, right now. I'm not short bonds. I think they're better, better games to play, such as, for instance, any long duration, high PE, loss making piece of garbage that's levered to the long bond, you know, Kathy Wood type stocks. Yes, I'm talking about Kathy Wood and Ron Barron, talking about talking their books. Those things are completely screwed. And so um, I think, you know, this idea that that uh, the rates are coming down further, from, you know, I, I'm just not a buyer of that. And so coming back to the bond point, if inflation is going to be three, four going forward instead of two, the 10 year at 370 is not particularly attractive to sale. You combine that with the earnings recession that we're in, we already are in, forget about economic recession, but the earnings recession that we already are in, equities continue to represent return-free risk, as I've been saying all year. And I think we've got a sub-3,000 S&P in our future. So I hope that answers your question. Let's, let, that was, was a master class. Thanks so much, George. Happy holidays, and thanks for hosting. The thank room. you. Thank you. I want to go to Glow and Sheldon, and then uh, I don't know where we are. We're all over the place here. Let's do Glow and then Sheldon. Glow, floor is yours. George, as always, thank you for a fantastic spaces session. It's been great learning. And don't worry about that Weber guy. That was garbage. We agree. Um, I'm just wondering if I can touch on what's being talked about with bonds and inflation here real quick with some data. Go for it. Um, one thing I like to look at, and this is from Jeff Gunlack, is the relationship between the 10-year and 30-year yield. So yields are looking exhausted here and kind of calling you know, the Fed's bluff that they can't keep hiking. And to your point about average earnings, that's a great point. Uh, over the last three months annualized, we're looking at over 6% is the earnings growth. So that translates into core PCE staying high, right? And, and the 2%, we can forget about that. They're going to move the goalposts, but it takes the better part of a decade to get inflation down to 2%. And the Fed is known to start easing up on the gas pedal after a 1% to 1.5% decrease from peak inflation. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, year or years ahead i guess we could say agree with that completely i think i think as opposed to the past you had the great moderation and number always go up i think you're looking at an environment of more stop go more economic volatility stickier inflation bear market earnings it all adds up to lower pe's which just contributes to my sort of dour outlook for markets generally Thanks for the question, Glow. Let's go to Sheldon. Sheldon, please unmute yourself. Hey, George. Um, you just talked about energy. as like cheap energy is one of the sort of three things that have sort of gotten us to where we were before inflation took off. I was wondering if we could dig a little bit on U.S. shale and sort of uh, I was wondering sort of how you felt, you know, uh, obviously profits and buybacks and everything have gotten these share prices sky high. But uh, I was sort of looking at some of these charts thinking, you know, especially things like Oxy, you know, they've sort of dropped under the 30 week and. I don't know a lot of people talking about maybe that there might be more declines ahead for U.S. shale output than, than the market might be pricing. I was wondering if you had any opinions sort of on the future of U.S. shale. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been top of mind lately, but I've spent a lot of time on this in the past. You know, the energy price, it's kind of interesting. The energy price has been, you know, oil's been doing horribly since its peak back in June. And the stocks have actually held up remarkably well, all things considered. Right, yeah. Um 
you know, it's just kind of funny when 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 when, when everyone expects something to happen. I mean, we had John Rogue talking about this and somebody else. We had John telling me a few weeks ago. He went to London two or three months back. And everyone's all both of energy stocks, but they all had the same story. Oh, they're going to stop emptying the SPR. Oh, China's going to reopen. Oh, Russian exports, you know, the, the, the ban on uh, is going to go in, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all the sort of elevator talking points. And somehow in the way of the bank, it didn't quite work out that way. And I don't really know. I mean, predicting oil, forecasting oil prices is a fool's errand, but, you know, People seem to think that you know, the, the slowdown we've had in China has been played a major role in all this. And so, you know, it's a question of multiple time frames, short term, long term. Long term, I fully subscribe to, to, to the bullish view on energy stocks. But short run, not so sure. I got on my energy needs for the most part back in uh, June. I've kind of been schizophrenic. I come in, I go out, but I, I don't trust it. I don't trust it because if we're looking at a, at a big economic slowdown, that's not good for energy stocks. But again, it depends. It's multiple time frames. I mean, so short term, don't know. Scratch my head. I'm not long. I'm not short. I'm just not involved. Longer term, I, I am bullish. I mean, what, what, what's your perspective? You you like them? Don't like them? Um, well, you know, there was this like banner headline thing in an energy aspects report not too long ago that said something to the effect of, you know, is U.S. shale going to peak sooner sort of than everyone thinks? And I read something else yesterday. It was pretty interesting about, you know, this not wise well placement and sort of the that have people been sort of fibbing about the decline rates of some of these wells, especially not in the Permian that's been outperforming, but the rest of the basins uh, uh, looking pretty poor. Yeah, Sheldon, you're right on that. I mean, the great Mike Rothman is one of the best oil guys out there has been, been warning about the movies that were in the twilight for shale. I agree with that, but you know, U.S. energy production actually hasn't been doing too shabbily. So, you know, right, Shell, right. Yeah, Shell, Shell, I, I would just hold that question. Uh, for another space, I mean, there are a lot of energy-specific spaces. A lot of my friends from the Canadian Oil Mafia are in here. Maybe some of them want to come up and talk about that. That's fine. But I would just hold that question. I'd like to move sure. on to something else. We don't mind. All right. I want to go to Michael Kramer, and then I want to do Rob Isbitz. Hey, Michael. Good to see you. What's on your mind, my friend? Oh, I was just uh, dropping in to see what was happening today. I saw you doing a spaces, and I didn't think you were doing it all day long. So, um but I was just listening a little bit to your inflation story and economic slowdown story. And, you know, I, the thing that I've been thinking more about uh, where we're maybe going is more of a, a stagflationary sort of environment next year and not necessarily recession. And um, I tend to agree, you know, inflation is going to be elevated for some time. But, you know, we also have, you know, very high, strong nominal GDP growth and so it speaks more of a stagflationary environment, I think. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I would tend to agree with that. And, you know, it's funny when um, it was Bob Farrell, who was, who's, you know, or a Merrill technician was saying famously, when everyone expects something to happen, something else is going to happen. And is I think you said it the other day, you know, I had the conversation, like, forget a recession. If we get a recession, it'd be one of those most widely advertised recessions in history. I lost so, it. Yeah, Michael, you still there? Can you hear me? Michael, hello. Michael, please unmute yourself. I guess we lost him. Um, all right, let's go to uh, let's go to Rob and then uh, the car. Yeah, Michael, you going in and out? Can you hear us? Michael, you're in the matrix. Michael, if you can hear us, leave the room and come back. Michael. Hey, Rob, what's up, man? Hey, George, you can hear me, right? We got you. Okay, good, good. Uh, 
So, uh, first of all, happy birthday, and uh, uh, thank you for kind of starting uh, me down the path of convincing my wife we should visit Aruba sometime. Um, uh, and I guess, you know, there's a few things on my mind. I'll just rattle them off quickly here and, and, and look to maybe generate some discussion. Uh, and this goes back to a lot of stuff that uh, uh, Tommy and you were talking about uh, earlier today. Um, uh, so... First of all, I mean, to me, 2022 has been characterized by uh, a lot of investor arrogance, a lot of it on the part of the retail, but uh, and maybe, you know, the, the less tenured investors. And that's OK. But, you know, like you said earlier, you kind of have to learn from it. Emmett Smith, you know, the great running back, had a quote that was actually, uh, I think, uh, attributed to his dad. Uh, he said, hey, you know, when you get to the end zone, act like you've been there before. And and hopefully, you know, the football fans know what that means. If not, I can explain. Um, so, uh, you know, to me, uh, and, and I've written a lot about this in Seeking Alpha and, and, and stuff, but, um, you know, when it comes to uh, the stock market, it still seems to me that especially retail investors, they're not taking it seriously. Um and then there's the other end of the spectrum where there's people that are, you know, they lose 5% and they're, you know, and they're freaking out. I, I just, I think there's a lot of misplacement and, and, you know, I thank goodness uh, that, that, you know, these spaces are, are helping to kind of bridge the gap between uh, we who have been in this for decades and are uh, fairly humble about it. And a lot of these sort of newbie arrogance that comes along. Last point I want to make, um, is on the bonds, okay? Uh, I mean, I've been a bond bear for a long time. Uh, and, you know, I'm a chartist for a long time. Uh, the, the market tells us a story. We just need to listen. And we've heard on these spaces and elsewhere uh, about lack of liquidity, uh, the Fed kind of urgent to extinguish this era of investor speculation and other BS that we haven't seen the lights of since 2000, even though they kind of caused it. Um, and I think the irony going into next year uh, is that, uh, you know, a lot of people are just automatically saying, hey, bonds are, you know, uh, stocks are a mess. Uh, that's OK, because you can buy bonds. And, and, you know, on the Cartoon Network and all that, it's about buy bonds, buy bonds, buy bonds. I'm with you. My charts are saying to me, it's never 100 percent, but they're saying loud and clear that bonds are. Are, are much more likely a short than a long. And just for, you know, the folks who may not be as, let's say, uh, ETF uh, uh, obsessed as, as I am with some of the work that I do in, in the portfolios I run, um, uh, you know, there is a, there's a, a, a trio of ETFs that short the bond market. Uh, TBF shorts very long bonds. TBX shorts seven to 10 year. SJB, uh, I like to refer to, uh, since I used to be one as single Jewish boy, SJB, um, is uh, also uh, that, that shorts the high yield market. So you don't have to get that fancy. These are single inverse ETFs, and this is not investment recommendation or advice. I'm just saying between that and the other ways that you, you know, I mean, you know, we talked about SARC on here and PSQSH. I mean, there's a lot of ways to express and profit from your bearish opinions. And I just hope that in 2023, 
carrying over from 2022 because I agree with you. I think 2023 could be like 20, like 2001. You know, 2000 was bad enough. 2001 um, was even worse, and you know, 2002 was even worse than that until early 003. Um, and so, anyway, I wanted to put a few of those things out there, put it against the wall, see what sticks, and uh, get your reaction. And anybody hey, else, yeah, yeah, Rob, that's phenomenal. Um, I'm with you, and as you and I discuss, and, and you agree, time kills more people than price. And you go back to like 2000, you know, bear market. No, it just went on and on and on. And I think the real, the real thing that would mess with people is if bonds actually went down again next year. I mean. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm of a very strong opinion. I could be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time. It won't be the last time. There's no doubt in my mind that equities are going down in a big way in 2023. And we're going to get Carter up here in a second, and Michael Kramer's going to come back. to, to uh, We're going to let him go again. He's coming back from the Matrix. But I'm convinced equities are going down in a big way next year. They're overvalued. Earnings are falling apart. The public hasn't sold anything. Um, and you're looking at you know a big earnings recession, if not outright recession. But the real poke in the eye would be you get a declining equity market and you don't get any respite from the bond market. Like, how's that? How, how, yeah, try that one on. Put that in your dividend discount model and tell me what you think. So it, it, it hasn't gotten emotional yet, has it? Right? No, 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 no. Not at all, Rob. Not at all, Rob. And so uh, I think the best thing we can do, Rob, is just, you know, be in these spaces, you know, twice a week and talk with each other, do a body check, reality check. I love your line. Uh, you know, the market tells you a story. You just need to listen. I think that's spot on. So I'm with you, Rob, 100%. But you know what? I want to hear other people. I want to bring the Carter in here because he's a really sharp cookie. And Michael Kramer, after Carter's done talking, if you're back from the Matrix, I don't know, your connection got all screwed up. We're going to go back to Michael Kramer. But the Carter, good to see you, my friend. What are you thinking? Hey, George. Hey, sorry. There are a couple kids in the background. There's a little background noise. Um, I'll keep it. I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, I would say the biggest takeaway from this last week was the Tepper interview. Uh, not just not just because you have another big investor sort of confirming the bearish outlook, but I think it has pretty big impl- implications from a flows and positioning perspective. Um, he talked about the Fed put being 1,000 to 1,500 points below current levels. So that's 23 to 2,800 on the S&P. Whales follow, I think I said this in a space yesterday, whales follow whales. The fact he's thinking that means there's hundreds of billions of dollars with that view now. And they're going to be selling rallies and they're not going to be buying in size for a long time to lower levels. Um, So on top of this very hard stop on the market at the top with this Fed call in place, you now have the whales uh, sort of solidifying that Fed call. So I I think the risk reward on a, on a short, on an equity index short just got, uh, the risk reward just went through the roof to me in the last week. Um, obviously, options markets and zero DTE is going to mess with things in the short term, but the risk reward is outrageous right now. Um, so, and I think the more that view is, the more I'm wrong in the short term, the more right I will be and other bears will be longer term because they'll, they'll just keep hiking the longer the market stays up here they'll keep just grinding 50s until they get up to six to seven hundred basis points on fed funds um so that's my biggest takeaway from the week i would say appreciate that carter um so the year end's always tricky markets get less liquid 
I think the the, the longer you go out, the, the, the more confidence you can have in your forecast. But I'm going to ask you the question anyway, and I'm going to go to Michael Kramer in a second. But, you know, the way I've been looking at it, and we talked about this in the room a couple of weeks ago, you know, if the market were to take a dirt nap, um, there's no one there to stand up to it. No, one, no one's going to take risk here at year-end defending the market. And that seems pretty much to be the case. The market's just been grinding down every day. In particular, the crap's been grinding. Uh, I'm going to ask you an unfair question. Do you have any particularly strong – I mean, clearly, I agree with you the longer, intermediate, longer-term view. But do you have any particular views to the next couple of weeks before and after the turn of the year? Before the end of the year, you have this stupid 38-35 JPM hedge fund strike that seems to be pinning the market. I don't even understand how that works, frankly. I don't see how one fund can pin the entire market. But once you get beyond that, every single indicator points down in the next four to six, in the in the next four to 12 weeks. So I think you get down to the 3,000 to 3,300 level in the first quarter. Um, I hate Kathy when I hate all that stuff, but I think you get a big buy, big tactical trading opportunity in that in the first quarter. I think everything just blows up um, here. And I don't care if I'm, I don't care if I'm wrong. That just means interest rates go higher and that stuff goes lower eventually. But all the indicators, and you can just go through my Twitter feed, I've written about this a lot. All the indicators line up for that first quarter puke and all of that stuff. Um, and you see rate, I agree with you on rates. Rates now seem to be rebasing and moving higher. So I think if you get tens up to new highs or touching the highs, that would lead to that uh, 3,000 to 3,300 level. So no idea in the next five trading days, but very, very confident in the next four to 12 weeks. Appreciate that, Carter. Please love your insights. Please stay on stage. I'm sure you'll have some questions. I want to go back to Michael Kramer, who's going to re rejoin us from the Matrix. And then we're going to have, and then we're going to have Deer Point with a follow-up. So, Mr. Kramer, um, you've been really, really right this year, and you've gotten a lot of followers, deservedly so. Everyone, by the way, follow, follow Carter. Uh, follow Michael Kramer, um, you know, doesn't get them all right, but he sure had more wins and losses. And so, Michael, I know we got screwed up there for a week or two, but we're ne we've now gone back to our regular schedule program. And you and I spoke about it a week ago. Um, you've been very good about following, you know, applying Fed liquidity and the balance sheet and the, and, and the reserve repo and all that kind of stuff. So, Michael, what are your what, what are your present views right now, Michael? So, um Two things I wanted to just bring up, uh, just as you guys were talking, I thought about. So uh, just want to bring everyone's attention that the inflation swaps market is basically viewing currently that we see a 2% CPI sometime by May or June. Uh, I also want to point out that in December of 2021, the inflation swaps market saw a CPI at 3.5% by December of 2022. So obviously that's not going to be right. And so the inflation, the market has been continually betting that inflation was going to come down at a consistent pace, and that just hasn't been the case. So the market has been consistently wrong. That's the first point I wanted to mention. The second point is that you are seeing rates breaking out around the world right now. German two-year new high, German 10-year new high, Italian 10, Italian 2. And then, of course, you had the BOJ basically reset the entire yield market by unpinning the 10-year JGB from the 25 basis point mark up to 50. The whole the whole 10 years across Europe, US, you never would, by looking at a spread between a US 10 and a, a JGB 10, you would never know anything even happened because the JGBs went up, US 10 years went up right with them, right? And you, if you look at these charts, I post them on my Twitter feed all the time, 
these rates are all breaking out and the U.S. rates are right behind him. And the U.S. rates are going to be dragged higher because these spreads are collapsing right now. And it tells you that either rates in the U.S. are too low and need to go higher or rates overseas are too high and need to come down. Being the positioning of the ECB, which is going to be higher than what everyone thought, I think it's more likely that U.S. rates get dragged higher. Not to mention the Fed is telling you they're going to go to 510. Fed fund futures are at 460 uh, or 450 even on for the December contract, which is just so you have a disconnect, right? You, you could see the two year probably go up to around 5% in that too distant future and probably see the, the 10 year go back to four and a quarter to four and a half uh, based off of where these spreads are, based off of what's happening around the world. Um, in terms of what I'm seeing in terms of liquidity, uh, so this week, uh, reserve balances uh, fell back to $3.05 trillion. That was about a $1.5 billion decline from last week. This was mostly due to the TGA rising by about $100 billion. Not exactly sure what's going on there. It seems like uh, they were letting it run down, but I guess they're trying to keep it around the $400 billion mark. Uh, going into the end of the year, typically going into the end of quarter to begin with, you always see reverse repo activity sort of surge. Uh, and so I'm thinking that maybe we see reverse repo activity get back up to 2.3 or 2.4 trillion over the next um, this week from its current 2.2, 2.25 trillion, which means you may have another 150, 200 billion dollars worth of reserves get drained out of the system just this week, which could carry into this week into next. And so regarding the JP Morgan collar at 38.35. That's been sort of keeping a lid on the market more than it's been really sort of uh, pushing it to the downside. Uh, so I think like if we do get a, a liquidity drain, I don't think the J.P. Morgan collar will matter much because remember, J.P. Morgan sold those calls, right? They bought the puts down below, but they sold the 38, 35 calls. That means your market makers are basically long calls, which means they have to short the market to keep, you know, stay hedged. And J.P. Morgan needs those calls really to finish below 38, 35. Uh, to have them expire worthless. So I don't know. The, the way I'm sort of thinking about it, I, I don't think this sell-off is over yet. And I, I think that you could actually see a pretty meaningful sell-off between now and the beginning of next year, first week or two. But then I think you probably get a very big rally back off of those lows sometime in the middle of January to beginning of February. And that's what I'm sort of thinking about at this point. That's great. That's great, Michael. And uh, again, I urge everyone to uh, follow Michael on Twitter. He also has a research service, really, really good value, and he's been spot on. He's one of the key guys that I follow. So, Michael, I'm really glad you come back in this space, and I, I hope you'll continue to do so. And please stay on stage. I'm sure you're going to have a bunch of questions. Uh, I want to do your point for a quick follow-up, and then we go, we're going to go to Ken. Do your point? Yeah, George, just uh, actually this is for you because, you know, given the fund that you ran uh, back in the day, the Emerging Markets Fund, what do you think about some of the emerging markets? I mean, you look at places like Poland, you look at places like Chile, Malaysia, uh, um, you know, I, I guess Israel would be more of a frontier market, um, more so than an emerging market at this point. But I mean, you look at some of these markets. Um, I mean, do you not think that some of these evaluations in some of these places, I'm not sure if you still watch them, um, but are also a decent place to kind of look uh, just given what's happening in the U.S. Like, yeah, I mean, you look at Brazil inflation's coming down at a rapid pace. I mean, they front ran uh, in terms of, you know, hiking interest rates like most emerging markets have to do. Um, so it seems like some of these places might be more better positioned from a monetary standpoint going forward. But I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that. 
Thanks for that to your point. Yeah, it's a very good question. And emerging markets are much more heterogeneous lot than they used to be. So I think you really need to take it on a case-by-case basis. I would say two things. One, rates coming down, the dollar weakening uh, is a huge net positive, all things being all else equal for emerging markets. Um, but two, if we're going into a global recession, that's not a positive. So I think you need to be very careful. Uh, the EEM for people use it as a proxy for emerging markets. It's more dominated by China and some large cap tech stocks all around the world. So it's not it's not a good good index to look at. Brazil, you referenced, you know, largely more commodity dependent. I think you have to pick your spots. Um, and so, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's it, it's a, it's a very it's very nuanced. And you know, yeah, you, you asked really a question, dear. I, I think maybe we should have that as a, as a topic for another space because. You really got into the weeds on this one. No, so thanks for the question. Uh, let's go. Let's go to Ken. Uh, Ken, good to see you, my friend. What's up, Ken? Please unmute yourself. Hey, George. Uh, this, can you hear me? We got you. All right. Well, hey, thanks for the call. A uh, couple of quick points I wanted to make. Just uh, at the first of the call, you were talking to Tom Thornton and talking a little bit about the tone of everything and the spaces and everything. And I just want you to know that a hundred to one is where the positive stuff coming out of this, these spaces are to the negative. So uh, there are so many people this year that have really felt left out of the whole system prior to, and have been included in here. And I, I really have loved the way this community has, really lifted everything up and, and uh, shared with each other. And I, I think it's been monumental and I don't want you to uh, uh, forget that. Um, um, One other thing I wanted to mention was, you know, I, I think we're all in such, I know I am like, I'm searching for something to give my clients hope for 2023 because, you know, you know, people are tired of losing money. They're tired of not making money. And, you know, we're all trying to search for that hope, but, but I think everyone's rushing too fast to try to find the promised land because, you know, um, bonds have to get ready before stocks. And until two out of three people on the internet are trying to make sure they don't miss the bottom, then uh, we're not anywhere close to the bottom. You know, I'm not, I don't really have a great financial background, but I have a great common sense background. I've been doing this for 28 years and over and over you see people rushing to head, head the wrong direction. So I just wanted to make those points. Thanks. Thanks for that, Ken. Those are really, really excellent points. And um, I value your value as a friend. Great to get to know you this year. I love your contributions and, um, I think perspective and some sense of financial history is so important. We bring that to the table. Unfortunately, there are too many uh, new investors who've only entered the market in the post GFC environment. And, and they think this is normal. And as, as we all know, it's not normal. So I salute you, Ken. I thank you. And it's a pleasure, pleasure to know you. And please, please, please stay on stage. I'm sure there'll be some follow-up questions. All right, let's go to, um, let's go to uninformed investor who I'm sure is informed. Uh, uninformed investor, please unmute yourself. 
Unaffordable investor, are you there? Please unmute yourself. I think you're muted. All right. Who else has a question up here? Glow, did you have a follow-up? I guess, George, the, the follow-up would be, what is the asset class other than cash? And just sit tight for deflation. I mean, I know we got inverse ETFs and stuff, but how does one play um, what comes next, I guess, which is what most people want to know, right? We're all here to make money. Yeah, and, you know... <laughs> As you can imagine, so that's the first time someone's asked that question. And so when someone says, oh, I got to put money to work, I hate that phrase. I got to put money to work. Who says? How about cash as an offensive asset allocation decision? If you can make 475 or 5% in, in, in three-month money, like, you think the market's going to be better than that this year? I don't. I don't think Ken does. I don't think Michael does. I don't think Ron Isbitz does. I don't think the Carter does. And so certainly David Tepper doesn't. So I I, I just think you know, we, we, we're in the everything bull market. We're in the everything bear market. I don't think it's much more complicated than that. And I just, you know, as someone said, I can't remember it was Stan Weinstein who said it some months ago. We repeated it a million times in this room, but my dementia is getting the better of me. The hardest thing in a bull market is to stay invested, to stay in. The hardest thing in a bear market is to stay out. And that's my two cents. Yeah, it's a market of stocks. There'll be selected sectors you can do right in. But, you know, unless you owned energy, you lost money this year. Um, and so uh, I, as, as we sit here today, sit here right now today, I would just say discretion is a better part of valor. Check back, you know, maybe if the market tanks to 3,000 like Carter and Kramer thinks it's going to happen in the first uh, quarter, it's time to get back in. But right here, right now, no way. Thanks George for your question, George, George, may I pipe in for a sec? Please, go for it. Yep, thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that political uh, uh, political debate uh, rule uh, since uh, uh, my name wasn't invoked, but the inverse ETFs were. Uh, so, uh, you know, look, I, I think one of the things I'm thinking about in kind of wrapping up 23, uh, 22, looking into 23, is, is this. Sometimes... Uh, and I think, George, you've mentioned this a million times, as have many of your uh, uh, speaker guests. Um, you kind of have to draw back a little bit, kind of take that, I don't know, 20,000 foot view and say, OK, so what do we have? You know, everybody's trying so hard to find the stock, the sector, the industry, the ETF. You know, and again, I go back to the year 2000, where uh, I believe it was utilities and staples and REITs worked. Uh, for a while, and they worked for maybe a quarter to two quarters of twenty of uh, two thousand one, and then uh, you know again it was ultimately it was you know all fall down, and so um, you know to me the the ultimate goal of any investor just like any business is first thing stay solvent and second try to make as much as you can without losing big along the way. So how do you do that in an environment like this? You know, I don't mention the um, uh, the single inverse ETFs, and by the way, the double and the triple levered. I've never done that. It's poison to me. Others may know how to do it anyway. Um, but to me, the looking at the market these days, I, I have two sort of main uh, uh, keys to my portfolio, you know, which really, really helped uh, us uh, uh, you know, stay close to the zero line for all of 2022. And then, uh, you know, it's still the game plan into 2023, maybe with a little bit more emphasis on the short side. Uh, and that is this. Uh, one, 
don't be afraid to uh, get your, uh, you know, your, your free uh, low risk, unless you consider the U.S. government paying you a risk within a year. You know, the, the T-bills, there's a T-bill ETFs, et cetera, the, the short and safe, not the, not the, the credit stuff. OK, I rail against the short term uh, you know, bond stuff unless it's treasuries. Um, and then secondly, um, you know, the, the inverse ETFs, this is not a 100 percent or zero percent you know, game. Um, I actually think that some form of arbitrage, and I don't mean this is it's not complex, you know, yeah, if you think there's some things that, that may outperform on the upside and you pursue them through stocks, ETFs, whatever, great, but counter it with some broad market hedges. Um, and I, I think that ETF arbitrage um, pl you know, plus some uh, uh, cash uh, uh, stability um, is a great one-two punch, come what may, because you can always loosen up the reins, you know, if you're wrong. So anyway, that's my 2023 in a nutshell, and I, I welcome any uh, questions or counters or feedback. Thanks for that, Rob. Really appreciate it. Um, let's get let's get uh, Uninformed Investor. If you're still there, please unmute yourself. Uninformed Investor. All right. I don't know if you guys lost in the matrix. Michael Kramer, you got a follow-up? Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to ask you a question specifically. Um, I was looking the other day and I noticed that healthcare earnings estimates for the sector for this coming year have been dropping. But yet the sector has basically gone up in a straight line. It, it reminds me a lot of. It reminds me a lot of the year 2000 when you had that big that 2000 2001 period where the Dow sort of rallied and held up much better than the S&P and the NASDAQ. But I was curious to know, like, do you think that the move in healthcare right now is really just sort of uh, uh, in some of these Dow proxies, like um, more of like an end of year safety trade, like people are just looking somewhere to park money. So they're just putting them in these sort of lower beta names. And this is just an overcrowded trade and come the new year, everything sort of unravels because doesn't really make other sense with you with the sort of the decline that we're seeing in these earnings estimates. Yeah, Michael, I'll just give it a stab, but I'm going to defer to everyone, anyone else on the panel that wants to answer this. I, I think that's right. I think people are parking stuff there and the perception that it's defensive. Um, there's not as much, much earnings volatility in those. They perceive earnings volatility in those names as there are in other parts of the sector, other parts of the market. But I don't know. I, I don't find it particularly interesting for the reason you cited, which is earnings estimates aren't uh, aren't nothing right home about. You know, and furthermore, if we get bonds selling off, rates going up, and they're going to turn to Rob Isbitz on this one, um, I wouldn't expect that sector to do particularly well. So it's not of interest to me. I know it's exhibited relative strength, but you don't have to dance with all the girls. You don't have to play with every turn of the wheel. And I just don't find it that interesting. Rob, do you have a view particularly on healthcare? You know, uh, what do they say? Best house in a bad neighborhood. And, uh, look, I, I look at thousands of charts every week. OK, stocks, ETFs, et cetera. You can't understand the ETFs unless you know the stocks within them. And, and um, you know, when, when it comes to healthcare, look, from a purely technical view, uh, to me, that was kind of one of the it's one of the last ones standing uh, sector wise. Uh, and maybe some of the sub industries as well. I mean, you know, med devices and uh, healthcare uh, uh, providers. Biotech has 
uh, held up much better than most. And, and what I mean by that is it's been maybe in a 10% trading range for a while where everything else has been you know, just kind of falling off. Um, so, uh, in fact, uh, um, you know, in, uh, in the stuff I do for Seeking Alpha, uh, I wrote an article this week, which got a lot of good uh, commentary where I basically uh, uh, sort of created or renamed a chart pattern called the candy cane in honor of, you know, the season. Um, and a lot of stocks and sectors look like candy canes. Healthcare, a little less so. But like I said, you know, eventually they come for them all. So and, and again, this kind of plays right into what I was mentioning a few minutes ago about how, uh, look, if if you take an arbitrage approach, OK, I mean, look, all year uh, this year, you know, the Dow's outperformed the Nasdaq. If you own 50 percent Dow and 50 percent, uh, you know, uh, long Dow and 50 percent short Nasdaq, you, know, you had a nice year just just on that little piece alone. Um, similar thing with healthcare. It looks better than most. Um, but that doesn't mean it looks good because sometimes I go through, you know, thousands of charts in a week and I can't find a dang one that looks like I would buy it for more than a very short term trade. I'm not really a day trader. So anyway, that's my take. Can, so, can I get? Oh, I'm sorry. George. No, no, get, my, my, no, Michael, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, so I, I mean, from listening to the two of you, it almost sort of leads, leads to my conclusion, which is possibly that this is just sort of a a short-term trade maybe some of these guys are just all piling into because you're, i mean i look amen. At, amen i, I can't i can't think of any other reason why you're seeing a flight into that group i mean it, it really i mean like you're talking about amgen and merck and fight i mean these companies are exactly going to be you know lighting up the growth spectrum next year and they can't be cheap at this point anymore either um and and I would think in an, in an and when it, you know to, for the XBI and biotech, I mean that's just a long duration trade, right? And so, you know, once yields start going up again, that whole sector is just going to get crushed. Um, exactly and, the one I was looking at, Michael. Exactly <laughs> what I was talking about. So we're spot yeah. on. But yeah, more so than the IBB, which is more you know sort of larger cap weighted XBIs, more of the speculative names. And you know, I'm thinking that like this move in in the Dow, we've seen this outperformance is sort of just people looking to go somewhere and it becomes like the hot momentum trade. And, and because, I mean, you got to think if we're in some sort of stagflationary environment, let's say, let's say we're not, let's just say we're in a, a slow, no growth world. Why would you want to own a staple when, you know, their costs aren't going down, but their revenue growth is still really probably going to slow. Right. And you got to think that leads to margin compression. I mean, I, I I'm, I, I'm, maybe I overthink it. Right. But it's kind of it really is strange because you have like these one or two sectors that just seem to be holding everything together right now. Yeah, you know, my, my, yeah, Michael, Rob hit the nail on the head when he said it's the best house in a bad neighborhood. I mean, it, it's sort of, you know, when you're, when you're at a uh, basketball game or a football game, you get into the fourth quarter and the crowd starts chanting defense, defense. OK, it's like, you know, people want to gain exposure to the market. But you're in an environment where you should not be have you should minimize the amount of sex drugs, sex drugs and rock and roll in your portfolio, <laughs> and, and, and and you know so people hide in this crap. That's that's why they hide in McDonald's and Caterpillar track. I mean McDonald's is a joke, absolute <laughs> joke, right? And yeah, it's a good company, but the valuation is insane. Yeah. So so it's all the same. I think people just hiding there, 
Um, and it's 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 just bad values, so uh, it's just of no interest. Which which could go down to just the way that some of these um, funds sort of are are you know sort of created, right? Where they have to hold X percentage stocks and they can't own. Yeah, 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 Michael. Well, Michael, Michael, it, Michael yeah, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, Rob, Rob, Michael. Listen, if you have to own something, what are you gonna do? Own Teladoc? No, you're going to own Pfizer. Exactly, right? So, yeah. so, so, so it's not like, oh, I'm bullish in the market. I'm going to go buy Tesla. I'm going to go buy ARC. No. You're going to buy some real company, which is quasi-defensible. And, you know, but it just completely – I mean, if, if, if you get to the sort of uh, the incentives, the perverse incentives that exist in managing institutional money, this is what you run into. Rob, I cut you off. You wanted to say something? Uh, yeah, actually, exactly what you just said, uh, that, you know, in the institutional world, uh, and, and you experienced on, this on the inside, George, you know, I experienced kind of on the outside in, in, in the, you know, the decades when I, I was formerly uh, an investment advisor. And, you know, they, if your mandate is, hey, be fully invested or be 95 to, you know, 99% invested, uh, and you can only choose uh, from a limited number of stocks. This, this is something that I think a lot of the retail public, um, we need to catch them up on. You know, I mean, I, I remember I mean, that, you know, decades ago, um, I, I can't remember the firm, but it's probably a lot of them and the trust companies, things like that. They basically said, here, you're a portfolio manager. OK, you got the fancy title. You can buy any 35 of these 50 stocks that you want. You just have to make sure you can buy them. Well, are you a portfolio manager? Or are you a button pusher and, you know, plug in slots? But you couldn't use cash as a hedge uh, where their rates were high or low. Uh, you certainly couldn't buy put options or, you know, short anything. Um, there was no place to hide. And, George, I mean, you probably have a better pulse on this than I do, pl uh, plus a lot of people in the audience. But I'm guessing that that hadn't really changed, not in the mutual fund space. And obviously in the ETF space, it's... Uh, you know, it's driven automatically. So, um, you know, it, it kind of goes to to this idea that so much money in today's stock market is kind of mandated. It's not it, it, it's price indifferent. Right. Uh, uh, has to be invested or has to uh, do what the uh, flows into the S&P index or out of the index do. 100 percent. Right. Hey, hey, George. Hey, George, can I just jump in real quick because I need to go? Yeah, go for it. So I run I run a strategy that Rob just described exactly. It's it's S and P five hundred stocks only, long only, hundred percent invested all the time. So it's really good because it for it forces me to look at it forces me to look at the market through the lens of sector relative strength, and those defensive sectors those are the only places that make sense to be right now. And I can I can post charts on this, um, but if you have to be fully invested, it's the only place to be. Exactly, and Carter, I'll just pile on and say, when you have defensive leadership leading the market, what's that tell you about the market direction going forward? So you know, hundred percent. Carter ever thought of uh, adding a one percent uh, uh, allocation to S and P, ten percent, fifteen percent out of the money put options, just leaving it there? They get you the best of both worlds, no? So, I mean, basically, uh, George, not to uh, cut anyone off, but we would, so if this is right, right, like if our theory and hypotheses are right, we, we should really see this 
this part of the market sort of cave as soon as the new year begins. Oh, well, Michael, whether it's the turn of the new year or or in response to rates going up and accelerating pace because they are long duration assets, at some point it's going to break. I think the trucks will the trucks will tell us when. Hey, yeah. hey, yeah. Rob, hey, Rob, I'm going to Hey, Rob, I'm going to trigger touche. I'm going to trigger you. I'm going to trigger you, Rob. Hey, Rob, uh, <laughs> have you ever considered about um, you know? Maybe if you just put a fiber, get this straight face. I'm playing with you, man. Have you thought? About, <laughs> like, have you thought about maybe just putting five percent into Bitcoin? I mean, like Rob, can you afford? I mean, can you afford not to have an allocation of Bitcoin, Rob? Seriously? Yeah. No, actually, I I can I can very much afford it, uh, especially because now there's an inverse ETF for Bitcoin too. So thank you for reminding <laughs> me in the audience. By the way. By the way, you know, I, 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 I missed an opportunity here, but now I'm going to take it because because you trigger me. So I'm going to trigger back at Joe, OK, my friend, um, you know, here I am following Kramer a few minutes ago and I'm talking to George. And all I can think about is it was Festivus yesterday. And I'm thinking about one of the classic George Costanza lines from Seinfeld. I don't know if this makes me Jerry or not, um, but uh, it, one of his famous lines was, it's not a lie if you believe it. And I'm thinking that kind of summarizes the first three hours of this space, does it not? When you were talking about uh, you know, the car company that shall not be named. Yeah, Rob. And by the way, I just want to point out something. Again, just look at this room now. Look at, look at the screen and just think about how great this room has been the last hour. I mean, it started off great. We have Motorhead. But that jackass Weber that came in here. I think he's a fraudster. I think he's a complete troll. And this is just an example of why moderation is so important, why talking about things like the car company that shall not be named or crypto is just a complete freaking waste of time. So I'm glad we got this thing back on track. Before we go any further, um, I put it up in the nest. You know, first half of this year, we raised $220,000 for World Central Kitchen. They are doing God's work. Um, you know, we do these spaces for no personal benefit. We do them because we share. We've got a great community. These are the most valuable uh, preeminent spaces on Twitter without question. The amount of advice you get for free in these rooms, it's not financial advice, but the amount of people willing to share is phenomenal. We have a high-class first, uh, first, uh, first world problem of trying to uh, protect and enhance our net worth here. And honestly, and I've gotten, you know, thousands of, 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 of DMs and tweets from people saying how great these rooms are. I would ask everyone this time of the year to give generously to World Central Kitchen. They're doing God's work. There are people out there who are in a world of hurt, you know, who don't know where their next meal is coming from. And World Central Kitchen, there's a link up there to uh, our, our page where we can help help them. Um, we're up to almost 250 right now. I want to hit 300 by the end of the year. And, you know, we keep these rooms free. They're going to stay free. Um, I want, but you know, I ask you guys, if anyone in this room thinks they're getting value, you got to, I don't care if you give $10, $100, $1,000, $10,000, but you know, you think about your portfolio and what you spend on research, especially for those that everyone gives, gives, gives according to their means. A $10 gift from a student means as much to me as a $10,000 gift from a well-heeled boomer with a $10 million portfolio. But people spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on investment research. It's not asking a lot to, for somebody to give 100 bucks, 1000 bucks, 10000 bucks, you know, if they have means. 
and again, I repeat what I said, the, the, the small contributions mean as much to me as the large ones. I really pride ourselves on the breadth of, of uh, inclusion that we have here. Last I checked, I think we had 900 people had given. And so I'd ask each and every one of you to please, please, please give to World Central Kitchen. Um, kind of feel, you know, it's, this is that time of the day when we need to feel like Jerry Lewis with the telephone. But seriously, um, together we can do this. Um, you know, I, I laid off it for a few months. You had a great run in the first half of the year. Gave it a rest, but it's time. So I ask everyone to please, please give in, reach in their pocket and, and give to WCK. All right, let's go back to where we were. Um, let's see. We're going to go to Chaos and then Dane. Hey, Chaos, please unmute yourself, Chaos. Hey, George. Thanks for having the space today. I, I really appreciate these. And um, I just want to make a quick comment. On, I believe it was Rob that talked about his uh, experience once upon a time uh, having the ability to choose 35 out of a list of 50 stocks or something like that. And um, I, I think that that reality has uh, gotten a lot worse. I, I'd say 10 times worse um, that a lot of wealth management accounts are, uh, I'd call them uh, glorified asset allocation funds. Um, I mean, you might hold the securities directly, but there's there's very little customization. And um, I would say that for the most part, they uh, hug benchmarks to the extreme. And uh, for that reason, an environment like we're in right now, it's, um, you know, it's, it's why you, you get on the Cartoon Network and you hear people say really superficial things like, well, you know, most sell-offs are X and and we did why, so we think it's almost over soon or whatever. It's it's just a, sort of a side effect of um, a service that has been commoditized and um, a service that has been converted to a factory of sorts in a lot of cases. Um, I didn't really have anything else to add except maybe that um, I think that the same institutions that have uh, sort of pushed this to the fore have also gotten very... Uh, either lazy or reluctant about incorporating macro views that might uh, be operationally inconvenient. Appreciate profit that. motive. Yeah, appreciate that chaos. We've talked about that in these rooms and going on occasion. One of the things that uh, I wanted to do, we haven't done it yet, we will do it. And I think Rob will be part of it. And I think uh, Ken's going to be part of it. And that is I want to have a room uh, for RIAs and bad RIAs and wealth advisors, because it's it's what you talk about the the profit motive and the fact that incentives aren't aligned. It's highly problematic, and I think the public is being incredibly ill served. And in part, that helps explain why these rooms are why these spaces are so are so good because people are looking for the truth and uh, in, in a different answer. And I think they're getting it here. Thanks for that chaos. All right, we're going to do two more, and then I'm going to call it a day because we've been running on for too long. Actually, three more. We're gonna go. We're gonna do uh, Razor, and then uh, Michael, and then uh, Dane. Uh, Razor, the floor is yours. Okay, can you hear me? We got you. All right, thanks. So, I I um I invest. I had a financial planner that um, did phenomenally well. She obviously through the bull market. We made a lot of money, probably enough for me. I'm in my 40s, probably to retire. And in January, I called her and I said, Hey you know, we're just doesn't, something feels right. You know, normally history shows we're due for a correction. 
and she kept telling me, no, no, I see support, see support. She kept referencing Kathy Wood. And um, I think she based everything off of her opinions. And so as the years gone on, we had a huge percentage in Tesla. We had a huge percentage in Amazon as well as a few others. And then I said to her, I said, I, I'm just, I'm not feeling good about this. No, no, Kathy Wood, she's been buying coins. She's been buying Tesla. She's been doing all these things. And so I started researching who's anti-Kathy Wood, because whoever this person is, it doesn't seem to be jiving, which is where I came across you, George. And um, so it got to the point where after listening to all these great topics that you guys have talked about, all these great speakers you've had along with yourself and watching your fund um, and how it's performed, I took my account back from her and, and I'm managing it myself now. So I just took that back and basically parted ways with her. Um, and a lot of it has had to do with because of you and everyone that's on these on these uh, groups here that we listen to that I listen to every day. So my, my question is to you and, and to the group is I, I still hold a lot of Tesla. And luckily she bought it in like 2015, 2016. So I'm not in terrible shape, but I've lost, you know, two thirds at least of, of what I heavy Kathy Wood type. So do you feel like now's a good time to get out? I, I haven't lost money on these as far as my cost base. But yeah, yeah. So, 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 on, yeah, on. yeah, Razor, 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 let me, let me answer yeah, go that. For it. I mean, I'm really, really sorry that you've had a hard time this year. I'm really glad that you made money previously. Yeah. But what I'm going to tell you is not financial advice. You have to make your own decisions. Of course. But there are, a couple, there are a couple things to keep in mind. One is the market doesn't, Mr. Market doesn't know and doesn't care what your cost basis is. That's what Peter Lynch always, always used to say. Mr. Market doesn't know and doesn't care what your cost basis is. If Tesla's going to go down, it doesn't matter whether you're in it at a profit or you're in it at a loss. The decision is the same. Sure. Converse, Tesla's going to go up, same thing. So my own view of Tesla, it's an unmitigated disaster. Um, you know, uh, and ARC, we've been short ARC since, I don't know, 130 or whatever the hell yeah, it is. Yeah, I've been watching it. It's... Yeah, yeah, Tesla, we called that as a short. My opinion remains unchanged. If you were in the space earlier today, um, you would have heard Motorhead. I heard it all, yeah. It was Motorhead. I personally, I personally believe, and I'll tweet it at it, I think, yes, I think Tesla's going below 50. And, I'll, and I think it's going to happen in the next six months. Do you do whatever you want? I no. get I, 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 I've watched your funds performance, no. George. Well, the no, uh, the no, fund no. speaks for itself, too. Funds performance is irrelevant. Yeah, I look like a genius the last couple of weeks. I look like an idiot the first few weeks I ran the fund. <laughs> so, so, you know, this is, a, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I mean, you know, whatever. I look like a genius right now. But, or, or you know, George Pat, General George Patton, call your office. All glorious fleeting, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the point is, I'm an investor. I'm not a trader. Although I've been trading a lot lately. You know, a year ago uh, or earlier this year, I get confused with the splits. But, but when uh, Tesla was a oh god, I get so confused with the numbers now. When it was like 250 or 300, I said it was going to 100 by the end of the year. Well, here we are. It's 122. Um, you know, what's important is not on the price target, but Rather, to just give context, it, it contextualizes the degree of my bearishness. I personally believe Tesla's going down, and it's going down a lot. Um, it's lost its competitive. It has nothing special. It's lost its competitive position. Uh, earnings, you know, they could lose money next year. Uh, China is where they make all their money. Competition is coming. The multiple went through the roof. Musk is dishonest. 
uh, all liquidity driven assets are getting destroyed. This is no no worse than the rest. And so I, for me, if someone was giving me an account, I said, "What are you going to do, George?" I'd I'd sell it right away. Um, and the one thing I would, I'm glad you took your your your, and, and, and I'm glad you took the account away from the investment advisor, because look, this is a hard business. This is a hard business. Um, but I would just say, as a general proposition, any investment advisor who's giving the same advice to their client today, look, we all make mistakes. But any investment advisor is giving the, the, the advice, the same advice to the client today as they were giving at the turn of the year. You should run, not walk, as fast away as fast as possible from that investment advisor. I mean, I get it. Turn of the year, the sands are shifting, the tides are shifting. It's hard. I get it, right? But, but, but the the, the path revealed itself. Anyone who was still saying stay in Tesla, stay in Apple, stay in Netflix, all that garbage, Amazon is uh, was it? Was it? Uh, I can't remember where it was. But uh, hey, hey, Rob, help me here. What was it? Get out of here. Was is, is that Seinfeld? Who's the guy that said get out of here? Right? You know, to that investment advisor, I said get out of here. Rob, where's that come from? Oh boy, you got me stumped. Maybe maybe it's your maybe it's your Jersey accent. I'm not yeah, sure. Could, but could, I, I, could, I, I, Rob, go ahead. Go ahead, Rob. Go. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just say this about Tesla and ARK and all that stuff, okay? And, and you know, I mean, personally speaking from this year, uh, but but uh, also looking forward, I mean, you want to talk about the, the holiday season and the gift that keeps on giving? Uh, I mean, that that's it. That's it. Uh, because, you know, the, the, the best formula that I have found over the years for – uh, for something that we're kind of lacking in 2022. Okay, the one, the one, the, the tough thing about 2022 was that you didn't get a sustained move in anything. But of course, George, you know, you, you, and many others in these spaces have brought up, you know, whether it's the the you know, the Arc style stocks and the uh, you know uh, Tesla, of course, you know, probably chiefly among them. Um, the reason these are the gifts that keep on giving is that be, because you have so much of this sort of um, arrogant pushback um which always gives you another sort of reprieve to go and up your short or your put option or your inverse etf or however you play it and i mean i just posted a uh, a chart to the nest hopefully i did it correctly i'm not mr tech uh but um you know i mean it's like it's like worse than an ugly christmas sweater you know it just it's it's unreprieving and those are the toughest things to find right now in the market something that will will actually move in one direction or the other sustainably unfortunately for stocks and maybe for you know long bonds eventually okay it's going the wrong way for a lot of people and again that's why i bring up the idea of kind of playing offense and defense at the same time which is a way to 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 say you know don't just wait for the next bull market Get, you know, take take the market you have, not the one you wish you had. Yeah, and, and, and listen, I really want to wind this from up, so I'm gonna be very brief here. Um, I'm gonna, it, it's a play on Kramer. You know, he always says, "There's always a bull market somewhere, and my job is to help you find, help you find it, and make money." Well, the wise guys would think I'm a permanent, but I'm not. I would say, "There's always a bear market somewhere, and my job is to help find it, help you make money." So there you go. All right, listen. Th- thanks, guys. I I appreciate it from the bottom uh, of my heart what you guys no are doing. Worries, no worries. We're going to close this from shortly, so I'm going to recognize Dane and then O'Hare. I'm going to ask each of you guys to, to keep brief because I've been at this for three and a half, three hours and twenty minutes, and I got to get a life. So, Dane, please unmute yourself and then O'Hare. Dane, the floor is yours. Hey, George, thanks so much for putting this on. 
Um, my question really is about money market funds. I'm curious. I know that during the 2008-2009 crisis that there were some money market funds that got liquidated and broke the buck. And looking at the current market situation and the money market starting to yield 4% and above, what your thoughts are there as far as safety for capital in the current situation just to make some income yeah. So let me interrupt. Um, we're, we're not at least at the point yet where money market funds are an issue. I mean, it could get a lot worse, but right here, right now, given that there isn't much distress in the system and banks are in good shape, I wouldn't really worry about it too much. I would actually go by, I mean, okay. Rob, 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 you probably have the answer to this, but Rob, isn't it better just go buy T-bills and make 475 now or something like that than money, money market funds? Yes. Yeah, okay, so so that's the answer. So Dane, just do that. Just go buy short term paper, three month paper, you get four and three quarters and be done with it. Uh, but if you got if you're gonna keep money in money markets, they're okay. I would listen, stay tuned, it's a fluid situation, check back in a few months. Maybe we'll get a credit cycle, maybe things start blowing up. But right here, right now, I wouldn't worry about it. Thanks for your question. Last but not least, I'm gonna give the floor to my good friend uh, O'Hare. Um, always good to hear from you, O'Hare. Please keep it brief because I wanna I wanna wind up this room. Thanks, O'Hare. Oh, here, please unmute yourself. Can't hear you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. Hey, fantastic spaces. Uh, I was hopping in and out, uh, kind of listening, getting ready for a Christmas Eve here, but uh, really appreciate some of that intel on uh, on Tesla. Chanos was in here, some of his perspective. Uh, I got to say, uh, George, I've really seen uh, a big change uh, in, in the way you uh, run your spaces over the last six months. So congrats, you know, kind of kudos to you. I think it makes it a lot more pleasurable for all of us because uh, you do add a lot of value. So I just wanted, I'm not like stroking you off here. I just, I really believe that uh, we all get more from these spaces uh, when you have, uh, you know, some of these folks come in uh, and, and give their two cents, uh, you know. So I, I just wanted to chime in here and let you know that and wish you guys all a happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, whatever you, whatever you guys celebrate. So, you know, it's it's been a tough year for everybody. Uh, and I, yeah. I, I look forward to a, a you know a good year next year. So for you and for everybody else as well. So anyway, great space, and I look forward to many more uh, next year. Appreciate the kind words, O'Hare. And I know you and I have had differences, but we're all good, and we all learn, and we all help each other together. And I love you bring a different point of view to things. So uh, you know, Merry Christmas, Absolutely. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, everyone. I know we got a few more folks that want to get up here, but guys, I got to get a life. This is going much longer than I wanted. You got to hit the and beach. So please keep it. You got to hit the beach, George. I, well, you, yeah, I know. I know. So anyway, guys, listen, this has been great. Don't worry. We're going to do another space. Um, maybe we'll do one on Monday. Uh, tomorrow is a Christmas. Uh, maybe we'll do one on Monday. Um, save the questions. Uh, the markets aren't going to move between now and Monday, so don't worry. Your questions are as about today as they are on Monday, so we're good. All right, listen, everyone, this has been awesome. Don't forget World Central Kitchen. Happy holiday, Merry Christmas, Happy Merry, you know, Happy Hanukkah. Everyone, be safe. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Good night.